0: Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and
1: Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man, who are all these people,
0: man? They're all part of the DC, who's who? Mm-hmm. Ultra Boy and Mr. Gold, Lightning, Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom, Stranger, Ettrick,
2: and, and Woozie Weeks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one
0: guy? What guy?
1: Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC Who's Who. Hello, and welcome to the inaugural episode of Who's Who, Update 88, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag, along with me is my co-host, the esteemed Rob Kelly.
2: So, it begins again. How you doing, buddy? We have not reached the beginning of the end, but I think we can safely say it's the end Of the beginning. (laughs) Pretty good Winston Churchill, huh? It, uh, is that who that was? Okay. <laughs> I'm no Chris Franklin, but I got a couple of voices in my repertoire.
1: <laughs> Folks, this is the as we say the, the beginning of the end or the end of the beginning, however you want to say it. This is Who's Who update eighty eight. This is the final edition of the comic book form.
0: <laughs> I guess you could say. It's all downhill
1: from here. No, not at all. Are you kidding? I am so excited for the loose leaf format. Oh Girl. God! No, you say that now.
2: Yeah, and I'll say it then.
1: No, you won't. When you read the Loose leaf, you're going to fall in love with it all over again. No, I'm not. Because there's so much art in that. It's just gorgeous, and there's a lot of history. It is gorgeous. Get, oh, get off my lawn, Rob Kelly. Anyway, folks. Yes, uh, we are here for a brand new show. Welcome on board, folks. <laughs> We're going to be covering Who's Who Update 88. It's a comic book that was published in 1988. Uh, we'll tell you a little bit of history about Good thing. it. If you, want. if you want, you can go back. There's some other shows that have similar titles. You could find them on the interwebs. Um, uh, this joke was old last time, I suppose. Anyway,
2: okay. We're like Marvel. We just keep starting the show over number one, hoping to bring on new fans.
1: <laughs> Alright, well, we got a lot of chatting to do. Before we do that, let, let's get to our in Stock trades picks this time. Uh, this episode of the Who's Who, I'm sorry, I was about to say Who's Who podcast, this uh, <laughs> episode of the Who's Who Update 88 podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more.
2: What you got, Rob? Uh, based on a character in this issue, I have DC Archive Editions, The Seven Soldiers of Victory, Volume 1, which is the reprints from leading comics featuring uh, the the unusual team of Green Arrow, Speedy, The Crimson Avenger, Shining Knight, The Vigilante, Star-Spangled Kid, and Stripesy. uh, Writers Mort Weisinger, Bill Finger, Jerry Siegel, and others. Artists Mort Meskin, George Papp, Craig Fussell, Jack Laity, Hal Sherman, and Ed DeBrotka. Uh, 200 pages full color hardcover. Normal price $49.95. trade price $27.47. That's 45% off. I have only read a couple of these Seven Soldiers victory stories but they're super cool. I just kind of love that they're like the B team compared to the <laughs> Justice Society. I've always said that the Earth-2 Aquaman would have been perfect in this team but uh alas it was it was not to be. So anyway, Seven Soldiers Victory Volume 1, good price uh, at on insult Trades for only 27.47.
1: Well, doesn't everyone in Seven Soldiers none of them have powers, right?
2: Shining Knight has powers. I guess so. I guess he's a. I mean, yeah, he's got the I magic mean, okay. sword. Yeah, but, but yeah, but that's true. Yeah, they were kind of like all a bunch of Batman's. Really, I never thought yeah. about that. But yeah, yeah. In fact, there's a
1: there's a Justice League Unlimited cartoon that features many of these characters, and, and the point they're trying to make is that the humans with no powers could be the heroes.
2: Hmm. Yeah.
1: All right. Yeah. So Aquaman would have fit in perfectly. Ho ho! All right. Anyway, uh, my pick is Manhunter, Volume Two, Trial by Fire, Trade Paperback. Now this is the Kate spencer uh, manhunter series from 2004 and I, I picked volume two specifically for a reason because in this tome by the way this this large tome i you know it doesn't give the page count but i'm holding i'm actually holding the real thing in my hands the real deal 221 pages there we go this is a gr- or 222 this is a great trade paperback folks even if you haven't read the kate spencer series you can start with volume two and understand what's going on it includes the trial of the shadow thief for the murder of Firestorm, which is pretty cool. But more directly to this issue of Who's Who, it also includes the return of Dumas... The Manhunter villain.
2: Ah, okay.
1: And uh, also the, the, the Mark Shaw Manhunter villain, and includes Mark Shaw himself. And there is a huge revelation in here that I won't spoil for you, but you should definitely pick up Manhunter Volume 2 Trial by Fire. Normally retails for $17.99. You can get it right now for 45% off, only $9.89. Writer uh, Mark Andrako. Adre- How do you say that? Andreco? Mark and, Andrako. I thought so, yeah. Yep. Javier Pina, uh, Jesus Saez, Brad Walker, a lot of other people. Very good book. Very entertaining. Pick that up. Folks, uh, for these and all your other trade, paper, trade paperback needs, please visit InStockTrades.com. Well, Rob, so Who's Who Update 88, it has been seven months, not for us in the real world, but uh, back then, seven months since the close of Who's Who Update 87. So DC's had seven months for the new post-crisis DC universe to percolate, things to bubble up, things to change, continuity gaps to catch up with it. So I think we're, uh, I think we're in for a pretty
2: good series. Uh yeah, yeah. Uh this the cover for this issue and the cover for all of them will be by Ty Templeton, who is one of my all-time favorite artists. Uh, for Husu, you could, you might argue that his style is a little too cartoony for something sort of as official as Husu. Uh but he managed, he's able to kind of dial up and dial down his cartooniness in his style, and he sort of like series it up here for this cover, and it's a really beautiful cover. It's got maybe a yes, look, okay, you want to say? Well, something? I
1: was going to stop you before we get too much into the cover because yeah. I, I just wanted to give some of the big picture stuff, the, the release dates, all that stuff, like we normally do. But I th- just talk conceptually about the Thai temple thing. It's very interesting that they hired one artist to do. All four covers. Uh, you now, if they could have done Perez to do all 26 or something like that in the first series, that would have been great. But getting one guy to draw all four, I wonder what drove him to that choice. No. You, maybe you should ask, uh, oh, well, I guess Peter Sanderson wasn't involved here anymore. Right,
2: it's Mark right. Wade. Yeah, that's... You know. Right.
1: That's a pretty big deal. So Peter's gone, Mark's in. Hmm. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, a couple different things. So, alright, folks, this is Who's Who update, uh, update 88. Number one, cover date, August 1988. It was released on April 19th, 1988. So if you want a fresh copy of that, be sure to jump in your Rip Hunter time bubble and head back there and get it. A couple different things about the series. If this is your first time listening to Who's Who Podcast, this is a four-issue miniseries we'll be talking about. Now, as you begin and get into the book, most of the characters will receive a full page entry, and in the foreground, there's going to be full color of of the image of the character with their logo, and the background is going to be a single color, which is called a surprint, depicting their origin and the aspects of the character, along with a close-up of their face without a mask, and then you get all the personal data, the height, the weight, etc., history, powers, etc., and our goal is to describe this in such a way that you don't actually need the comic book in front of you. Rob, uh, we're planning to post the pictures of
2: this to our Tumblr. Uh, I think if all goes well, this will be the very last Last time we do this isn't that right I hope so I think after that we should have the network up and running fingers crossed so you yeah. give
1: folks the Tumblr address real quick
2: fire and water yep
1: and folks just a little bit of information on that yes the fire and water podcast network will have its own website very very soon and what we'll begin to do is post the images on the site there. So uh, we will have the images on Tumblr, and then for those of you who listen to this episode later on down the line when the website's up and running, you can just go up to our website. We'll have all the pictures there as well. And if you want to follow along, folks, and either do live tweeting or on the Facebooks or whatever you want to be on the social medias, please use our hashtag so we can keep up with you, which is pound FWpodcasts. There's an S on the end of that. That's a new hashtag. We have changed it slightly now that we're part of a network, FWpodcasts.
2: The S stands for savings.
1: (laughs) And probably the biggest news out of this is once the network's up and running, folks, you will be able to subscribe to just the Who's Who shows if that's what you want. If you come to us every month just for Who's Who, you will be able to subscribe to just that show going forward. You won't have to get the whole network. Certainly, we'd love if you'd listen to some of the other shows, but uh, if if this is the only one you want, you'll be able to do that going forward.
2: Yes, all the shows will have their own feeds, and you'll be able to pick and choose as you like, although you should pick one feed. With all the ships (laughs) That will be available as
1: well Now we've gotten a lot of feedback And a lot of questions On exactly what we're doing After Exact. I'm sorry, the, the exact process of all the who's who we're going to go through. I just wanted a rundown for those of you who haven't been taking notes at home and writing on a little sheet of paper and tucking it under your pillow at night, just so you're up to speed on this. Who's who up to 88, as we talked about. Then uh, we're going to cover the annuals from 1989. Each one of the 1989 annuals had a who's who pages in them, all together collected as something like over 50 entries. So we're probably going to hit all those. I think we're going to hit all those in one episode. Is that fair to say, Rob?
0: Whoa.
1: Well, we, get 30, we get 32 pages here.
2: Uh, okay. <laughs> well,
1: maybe we'll break it up. We'll see. But there will be a, at least one or two episodes dedicated to the Who's Who annuals from 1989. Then we're going to tackle either Who's Who in the Legion or Who's Who in Star Trek. I'm not sure which we're going to do first, uh, and that will close out the comic book versions of Who's Who. <laughs> and then we will go to the loose Leaves of Who's Who in the D- Who's Who in the DC Universe loose leaf edition. We'll cover Update 93 somewhere in there. Siskoid and I will find some time to touch on the Mayfair Games Who's Who supplements. Uh, it might be a crossover with the Hero Points podcast. We're not sure. And then finally, it looks like we'll wrap up with Who's Who in the Impact Universe. That should finish up somewhere around the year 2052, I think. Yep. All right. right, Let's go back to where you were taking us down the road, Rob. Why don't we talk about the cover, and then I'll talk about what was on the shelves.
2: Yes. Before I was so rudely interrupted, I was saying I really like uh, this cover. It's by Ty Templeton. He kind of uh, uh, de-cartoonized his style a little bit to, to fit this series. I think it's a really beautiful Mix the colors are gorgeous. I love. I I, I feel like some of the other Who's Who covers the colors were a little washed out. I don't think it was a printing thing. I think just think they weren't doing as full saturation. But here the colors really pop from the green of Green Lantern to the red of Firestorm to Doctor Fate's golden. Uh, you know, Golden Blue, and then Black Hawk, and then Dr. Mist in the corner. It's just a really beautiful cover. I love the way all the characters are intermingling. They're not doing a whole lot of kind of back and forth, but there is some interaction here and there. Uh, I I just think it's beautiful, and I love that they got him to do all four covers. I think it's just a great idea. So this is a really handsome way to start the series. And and it's interesting that Dr. Fate gets the main cover feature. Uh, I guess you could argue he of the main – of all the heroes – the big heroes, he had the most changes happen to him, so maybe that's appropriate. But in terms of a big name, Firestorm certainly a bigger name, and Green Lantern was a bigger name, and Green Arrow is a bigger name. But Dr. Fate gets it, and I'm perfectly happy with that because Dr. Fate's awesome, as I know you uh, feel the same.
0: I
1: absolutely do, and I love this interpretation. It's a great drawing. The the helmet just looks totally boss, with the ridge all the way down the front. Yep. and, And the fin across the top looks really, really cool. And as you said, Templeton does a great job. He just has such a clean line. The lines are just beautiful, the way he does it. And you mentioned the coloring. I think a big part of it is the blue. The strong blue background really makes everything pop. I don't remember a cover with this kind of blue before. Maybe there was a color process change or something, because you're right. The colors are just vibrant. They really, really are. They're clean. They're, they're not muddy at all. And uh, it's beautiful. Now, as far as the main character, Dr. Fate is a very strange choice because, yes, he had a lot of changes. But at this point, when this came out, he doesn't even have a series right now. Mm. The miniseries is over. His ongoing is still a few months away. So it is kind of strange they put him right there front and center. But I'm happy they did. Now, did, did Blackhawk? Oh, Blackhawks were about to be in Action Comics Weekly, weren't they?
2: Right. Well, they had had some stuff happen to them because they had had the, the chicken miniseries.
1: Uh, In the movie, they were still trying to get the movie going at this point, too, weren't they?
2: No. I think the, I think the movie had, I think oh, that that ship had sailed. Oh, at the okay. End, I think so. But the I chicken do... series had happened. And Ty Templeton, just as a compliment before I forget, Ty Templeton makes Danny Chase look cool. So imagine that. That's not Danny Chase. That's Harry Potter. He <laughs> looks just like him, doesn't it? Or it's the Tim Hunter a couple of years earlier.
1: Right. Exactly. I do like how he kind of put some of the magical characters together. He's got Felix Faust and Dr. Mist there together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's an interesting thing going on here where I, I'd have to go back and see if this fits for all of them. But in the bottom right hand corner of the cover is the the guy from Forever People. Oh, what's his name? Black Viking, Black Vicken, whatever. Mm-hmm. That's him from the back. Okay, Seraphim's from the back as well. And, and I know Black Viking died. I think Seraphim may have as well. I'm wondering if everyone who's facing away from the camera are characters who died. Hmm. I don't know if that. I don't know if I could prove that out right now. But it's just something that kind of occurred to me. Wow. Uh, let's see what else is kind of cool. Well,
2: I- I, it's. Make- why is why is Adam standing on Felix Faust's shoulder? I would think he would not be doing that.
1: Oh, that's interesting. And he's in the wrong costume, too.
2: Yeah, he's in his yeah, he's in his uh, Sword, Sword of Adam, Adam. costume.
1: Yeah. yeah, I do like Kamikaze dive-bombing out of the sky. That's hilarious. <laughs> and Chip looks bizarre. He looks like a, I don't know, he looks like a teddy bear or something. <laughs> he does not look like a chipmunk. And he's enormous. He's
2: huge. Yeah, he's pretty big, yeah. No, it's beautiful. It's, it's a yeah. like green arrow, and I like the duchess looks really cool. It's great. He did a great job. I'm a huge fan of this guy. I just think he's a great artist.
1: Absolutely gorgeous cover. Because without any of the big marquee characters like Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman—any of them—they really did a nice job of making this a great cover. So.
2: Oh, Green Lantern's pretty marquee, you wouldn't say. Mm, did you see that movie? Anyway, um, <laughs> wow, it's you picking on it, not me. Okay, right. <laughs> Actually, you know that
1: led me to something I want to talk about. Uh, as far as marquee characters, I, I had a revelation, and I don't. This doesn't really necessarily belong in this conversation here. I, I, I can kind of make it fit. Um, this issue covers A and B. And there are no bat characters in here at all. Wow. Stunning. In that you would think, just in order to boost sales. They would come up with some sort of flimsy
2: reason to put a back character in here. Yeah, gee, they never let that happen again.
1: Right. Well, I mean, actually, you said that last time. Believe it or not, you said they would never miss a chance to promote a back character. That was in uh, Update eighty seven. Well, apparently, they did. They missed another one. Hmm. So I thought that was very strange, and that got me thinking even more about Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman and you know, the Trinity and all these major stuff. And you know what I've realized? And maybe this is like a duh moment. Batman is the only major DC character that's never had a complete reboot. Like, when the Silver Age came along, and he got a new origin and whatnot, it wasn't a reboot, it was just tweaks. You know, he got the yellow oval. They retold his origin a little bit, but at no point did they ever say the adventures that happened before now didn't happen. When you get to Crisis, Superman gets a hard reboot. You know, John John Byrne comes in and goes, "Those adventures never happened." Wonder Woman gets a hard reboot. Batman, mm -mm. he just he gets a new origin, and they tweak it some more, and all his previous stories still happen. You get to the New Fifty Two. Superman gets another hard reboot. Wonder Woman gets a hard reboot. Not Batman. So the, the character of Batman running around in comics today can be traced all the way back to his first appearance in 1939 and basically <laughs> say all of those adventures happened. Yes. So I, I just I, – that blows me away. I was astounded by that. So other, other notable uh, characters that are missing from this entry, from this book, no Legion characters. Yay! No Batman and the Outsiders characters, no oh. Wonder Woman characters. Just kind of surprising after you know the going through Who's Who update eighty-seven and the previous book. There just seemed we, we were tripping over those characters constantly. All right. Okay, um, on the shelves. So this book hit the shelves in April 1988, folks. I picked out uh, a good sampling of books that are related to the characters in this issue. Just want to run through them very quickly. On the shelves, Adventures of Superman, number 443. This is where Jory Ordway is just starting to take over the reins uh, of writing from John Byrne. Action Comics Weekly, number 601 through 604, the very first issue of, of Action Comics Weekly, came out this same month. So this was the first of the new weekly format, it had Green Lantern, Black Hawk, Dead Man, Wild Dog, Phantom Lady, Black Canary, Superman, Secret Six, and a lot more. Captain Adam, number 17, was out at this point with uh, that was a crossover with Swamp Thing. Checkmate was only on issue number five. Crimson Avenger... I didn't realize this. The miniseries was still going on at this point. So Crimson Avenger miniseries number three was still on the shelves. Doom Patrol number 11, where they fought Gargowax and reactron TV, star reactron. TV star Reactron. Yep. Firestorm number 74 was on the shelves, where he fought Sand Demon, TV star Sand Demon. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's also... That is one issue from a huge a huge revelation uh, about the the new Firestorm character at that point. Flash number fifteen uh, was one issue away with the from the return of Blue Trinity. Green Arrow number seven, which was a Black Canary in action issue, that was actually written by Sharon Wright rather than Mike Grell, and that was actually leading into Sharon Wright's work when she was going to write Black Canary in Action Comics Weekly. Infinity Inc. Rob, number 53, final issue Oh, oh boy. yep, It's all over. Hopefully no more Infinity Inc. entries. <laughs> <laughs> Justice League International, number 16, was on the shelves. This is when they infiltrated Baila, Baila however you say that, Baila, Baila, whatever. That's where it has Bruce Wayne was there with uh, Green Flame as his, as his Oh, thing.
2: right, right, right. The booster and beat were there. Things, yeah.
1: Fun stuff. The Mark Shaw Manhunter book was only on issue number 2. Noonteen Titans was on number 46, which was a Dial H for Heroes story secret origins number 29 was on the shelves all about the atom which coincided with the release of power of the atom number one this month suicide squad number 15 which was nightshade's odyssey young all-stars number 15 which uh, had de- the return of Deathbolt and some smoochy smooch between iron monroe and fury and finally also worth noting issue number four of who's who in the legion was on the shelves at the same time as this
0: hmm, hmm.
1: All right. I will now let you
2: open the cover, Rob. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Your co- you're Um from- okay. yeah, the inside cover features the first editorial by Mark Wade, who would really make these things his own because he just sort of refused to take anything terribly seriously. Not that the other ones were were, you know, super serious, but uh Mark Wade's really took it to a new level and he would later perfect this at Secret Origins. Which uh, at times, Secret Origins was the only comic book in, in my history that I actually bought for the letters pages. But uh, here he makes some jokes about. You know, dealing with deadlines, and he says he's talking to Bob Greenberger. I don't know who's going to be in the next issue of Secret Origins. What do you mean it's due at it, the printer? And they talked about page layout. He says, "Mark, I'm only consulting editor this time, but don't you think it would work better if you put the Justice League two pager on facing pages? <laughs> yeah, I mean, all that kind of stuff. So it's it's a fun little uh, intro into you know Mark Wade's sort of particular view of the series, and it sort of fits with the Ty Templeton cover. He does mention that uh this who's who series will only be covering characters in the DC universe so we will never get to anything featuring slash Maraud, sonic disruptors or outcasts crimeo <sighs> Yeah yeah uh that's too bad i mean you know cuz th- those characters deserve love too but that's that's um you know that's a choice they made uh strangely enough i guess they had just they had empty space they run the index again. Uh, that is strange. In- on the inside cover, even though it's already on the front cover. Um, mm-hmm. But again, I think it's just Mark Wade wrote a too short editorial and they just didn't have, you know, they didn't want to put it, they had no letters so they just had to fill it with something. So.
1: Well, there was some discussion here about toying with the established format, which eventually would lead us right. to the, the loose leaf. But one of the threats they said was maybe even, maybe even getting rid of this silly
2: yellow border. I know. I know. Oh, I can't believe Mark Wade wrote that. It's very sad. Uh, well, what are you going to do? I'm just going to enjoy this for what it is these final four before it all goes down the heck you um, are
1: so wrong
2: people <laughs> rise up rise up my people now the actually comments. there's more to come because all the ones in the annuals are, are the classic ones so yeah. anyway rise
1: up in the comments people and please tell rob how wrong he is and how great the loose leaf edition is
0: <sighs> yeah. Yeah.
2: you're
1: gonna feel there for you everybody
2: all right anyway first up is a revised edition Amazing Man from All-Star Squadron, drawn by Howard Simpson and Malcolm Jones III. Uh, I don't... I, I I read all of All-Star Squadron, but I don't really remember how many... The, the, the big change... I mean, he had a power change, uh, which they mention here, and maybe that's the sole reason he got the listing. He mentioned some months later, exposure to superpower electromagnet permanently altered Everett, replacing his matter-mimicking ability with magnetic powers... His status since the end of World War II is currently unknown. So that's—I think—that was really the big change. I think you're right. I think that that's they made the only that's change. the only reason he got. Yeah, um, the listing is okay. The artwork's not bad. The logo is very dull. It's just flat out, just some typeface. It's um, the same color as the serpent too. Yeah, so it's—it's it's not a. I always liked this character. I thought he had a really cool costume, um, but I don't really know if he deserves a new listing exactly. Well, Howard Simpson was
1: drawing the the book. Um, I guess the was it either All Star Squadron, Young All Stars. Um, so he was a good choice for the pick. Um, yeah, the, the, the and also the power is one hand attracts, one hand repels. Isn't this the same power as Yankee Doodle? Um, the dog, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. But anyway, um, the art, as you said, is nice enough. But as I actually, I really like the art. Believe it, like I saw it, and I'm like, wow, that's really sharp. But then I realized it's because of the era I'm from. As, as you look at the art, you look at the shadows, the way the shadows lay out on the body. You look at the lines, the, the cape, the length of the legs, the size of the head, the billowy clothes. <laughs> What's that smell, Rob? <laughs> it's the 90s on the horizon. That's mm. what this drawing tells me right here. The 90s are coming. Oh, boy. Because uh, look at it. It looks very proto-90s. It really does. So, hey, I don't think he merited a new entry, but I'm glad they did. I like the character. Yeah, I, me too. I, I, weird change of powers. Obviously, Roy had to have some reason. Because, you know, Roy doesn't do anything without some sort of nod to the, the Golden Age. So there had to be some reason for changing his powers to magnetic. I don't
2: know. Was he ever – did anybody ever do anything with him, like, post-Roy
1: well, yeah, Thomas? You and I, I think, had this conversation last time, I think. Wow. Um, but that was a long time ago. Yeah, um, Jeff Johns brought back
2: oh, a course. descendant of him. Of course. Of course. Well, I mean in, the guy himself, though, the, the actual character. Well um, – Because there would have been no place to do it. There really weren't any World War II era books after Roy Thomas was done. Well, there was the Extreme Justice book where they introduced, like, his grandson, and there really were no
1: distinguishable differences between his grandson and him. Okay. They're basically the same guy, other than he, you know, the grandson didn't have to deal with the the Nazis and the the Olympic stuff, but the same costume, same powers and whatnot in Extreme Justice. And then, again, Jeff Johns introduced another amazing man with very different powers. Okay. All right. Um, Now, for more on The Amazing Man, check out the Tales of the JSA podcast with our buddies Michael Bailey and Scott Gardner.
2: Uh, next up is The Atom, who has undergone a lot of changes since his last listing. He, I don't think he got a new listing in the last update, right? He just His last entry was book one of the first series. Isn't that correct? I, think, I believe so. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, he went through the whole sort of The Atom phase and came out to the other side. And now this was right at the, where, the beginning of the Power of the Atom book. Um, I read Power of the Atom. Uh, but I don't – and so this part must have been mentioned, but I don't remember because it says um, – uh, it mentions that the race uh, that he was living with, the Catathor- uh, Catarthans or Catarthans or Catarthans. katarthans There it is. The little people. The little people. A race of equally small uh, aliens living in the Amazon jungle. They all were killed in a fire. Yeah, I was... I don't... I mean, I must have read that at the time, but I don't remember it, and I was real... That really made me sad, because I liked Sword of the Atom. I thought that was a really neat idea, and I was sad to see it jettisoned, but, you know... I think it
1: was during one of the specials, because the way it worked was there was was the Sword of the Atom miniseries, and then there were two specials. Two or three specials. Yeah, It it either happened in one of the specials, or maybe in the Secret Origins issue. I'm not sure which. Hmm. But I, I, I do recall it, and it was sort of like... Oh, they're clearing the decks.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Clearly, yeah. I do like um, his the the change of his costume where he's got the the bare head. They got rid yeah. of the scalp. I think that's a nice addition. Um, but I, it made me sad that they got rid of it because I really thought sort of the Adam was was really fun. DC did a lot of really good. Like, they weren't reboots. You talk about Batman. They they weren't reboots, but they were kind of, like, freshening up of the concepts of their yeah. core characters in the 80s. Trevor Von Eden did a great Green Arrow miniseries written by Mike W. Barr. And then they did Sword of the Atom, the Aquaman miniseries by Craig Hamilton and Neil Posner. So there were a lot – the Shadow War of the Hawkman. There was a lot of really cool, like, hey, let's let's give these characters a poke in the butt kind of thing that wasn't – It wasn't because you had to do crisis. You didn't have to like shake the etch a sketch. And uh, so, again, sort of the atom I thought was pretty cool. And it would have been neat if they could have found a way to give sort of the atom like its own, like an update. That would have been cool if in in update one they'd gotten Gil Kane to do an atom listing talking about.
1: Wasn't the atom listing? I think the atom listing was the sort of the atom look. I think it was him riding a frog.
2: Was it? Oh, you're right. You know what? You're right. I forgot about that entirely. I think Gil you're Kane right.
1: drew it, and it was the sort of the Atom version.
2: Yeah, you're right. You're right. I forgot about that. Yeah. You
1: should just, you know, put that
2: on a loop. It's been so long ago since we did that. <laughs> 2012 um, is yeah. when we oh started this Oh my god, yeah. Uh, anyway, the art by this one is by Dwayne Turner and Keith Wilson. It's it's fine. I'm not a huge fan of it. It's it's pretty, you know, straight-ahead superhero stuff. And that
1: that is probably the best way to describe the Power of the Atom book, sadly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they are the art team, or at least he's the penciler, I think that's the anchor as well, I'm not sure, but the, is it, it's funny you mentioned that the, sort of the Atom was sort of the redoing of the Atom, the freshening up, and then this is sort of like back to normal, because this series actually had a specific ad, house ad that ran, where they showed like clips of, uh, or like, I think they showed like Man of Steel number one, and Wonder Woman that's number That's right, one. yeah, yeah, they, they, were, they were trying to position one. it, yeah. Yeah, and like you like, know, now it's the Atom's turn. To go back to normal, yeah, That's what it was, and I've read Power of the Atom quite a bit of it. Uh, Frank actually kind of turned me on to like the most uh, best way to describe it is basically like it's fine, but it's nothing impressive, and you don't remember it after you get done reading it. Right. It's it's just kind of standard superhero fare. It's it's a little disappointing almost, just because it's not revolutionary.
0: Mm. Yeah. I
1: agree with you. It's funny. My notes also say I prefer that h- having his hair exposed. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice little detail. Yeah, just cutting the cutting the top of the cowl off, you know, Wally West style from uh, Kid Flash, just really makes it work. Yeah, now, cool. I noticed in his uh, where does this uh, marital status? It says separated. Are him and Gene seriously separated and not divorced? Because he was in the you know the Amazon banging the 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 tiny girl. Well, but it before. says known relatives: Gene
2: Palmer, ex-wife. So it call, it who's called... he separated
0: from? The, I don't know.
2: The little person. Yeah, maybe. That's but then you, but then you think it would have listed her as like his sort of wife, right? Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. yeah. And the serpent is also a little dull.
1: Um, and you see Chronos uh, back there. You see Chronos. You see the sort of the Adam stuff, and then you see a vine, I think, or something with thorns. It's um, it's just it's just a little disappointing. So, but. It's a cool character. The Sword of the Atom stuff's definitely worth checking out. There are things in the Power of the Atom series that are fun. Like I, I did enjoy the issue with Elongated Man. I read not too long ago, stuff like that. So it's not it's not a complete wash. It's just not fantastic. But for more on the Atom, check out the DC Bloodlines podcast. Our friend Frank does. They have segments on there called Power of the Atom.
2: All right. Next up is Axis America, proving that not all Nazis are scary. This is a super super, super team. From the Young All-Stars, most of the team first appeared in Young All-Stars number one. And then one of the characters, Kamikaze, came along later in Young All-Stars number five. drawn by Howard Simpson and Malcolm Jones The III. Uh, you've got the characters are Ubermensch, uh, Gudra, Horned Owl, Fleetermouse, Usul, Seawolf, and as I mentioned, Kamikaze. Uh, these are pretty doofy-looking Guys, uh I'm sorry. I just d, d fleeter mouse is just not none of these guys. I, I guess Uber is the closest you get to like somebody kinda scary sounding. But uh and kamikaze, but he's so stupid looking that I can't get over that. He looks like a human missile. Yeah, I I need this I need this beer can open. Can you come over here? Uh yeah, so this was a team of baddies that took on the young all stars. It's just not uh, uh, uh. Yeah. Well, the strange
1: thing is, this is a revised entry, and they first appeared in Update eighty seven. So it's only been a year or so since the first entry, and really, there's not that much more material here. All the only thing that's really worth mentioning now is that they've added Kamikaze, right? And, and the whole reason this team was created is they're, they're basically analogs to the classic, you know, Super Friends characters, if you will. You know, Uber Superman, right? Great Horned Owls, Batman, Deflator Mouse, or whatever his name is. I think that's the Tick character, actually. Yeah, just Flader,
2: just Flater Mouse.
1: Mouse is Robin. Sea Wolf is Aquaman. Yeah. Um, Valkyrie is. I can't find the list of their names. Where is their names?
0: Uh, Gundra. Goondra. Yeah.
1: Here we go. Gundra is Wonder Woman. Uh, Usil is is Green Arrow. And Kamikaze is. I don't freaking know. <laughs> I, I don't understand why they added him. You know, if if Roy set out to create this, you know, perfect replica of the classic DC heroes. Who the heck is Kamikaze supposed to be? Why did he add him <laughs> to the team then? It makes no sense. Now, sadly, this entry contains something I was hoping they would avoid. They put an acronym in here for All-Star Squadron. In the second paragraph. It's Now, they put a hyphen in it. Oh, pers-
2: yeah. C- C-S. A hyphen
1: S-S. I'm like, oh. I've seen people use the ass acronym before for All-Star Squadron, and I just hate it. I absolutely do. But, anyway... Because Axis America had just come out with Young All Stars, it just started. I guess issue five hadn't been released when the first volume of, of Who's Who up to eighty-seven came out. So again, just adding comic is all that really happened here. And honestly, even though the art here is by Howard Simpson, and I think it was by Howard Simpson last time, I think I kind of like the last drawing better. This one's not terrible. Uh, and now I don't agree with you that they look boring, but they're all just kind of standing around a Nazi room, you know, and, and you know, they it looks like they're getting together for their you know class photo. But it yeah. is uh, it is Axis America. you got to put the emphasis on the K, buddy.
2: Yeah, all right. Sorry.
1: All right. For more on them, check out the Tales of the JSA podcast.
2: Uh. Yeah. I love that I was supposed to be excited about Seawolf, according to he's like, Well, you are. It's, it's your Aquaman hey, analog. Well, I'm supposed to. I'm not, though. A he's, he's a seafaring werewolf. All right. Okay. <laughs> anyway uh, Next is Black Hawk One of my favorite characters Art by Rick Burchett And Pablo Marcus Who did the Action Comics Weekly Strip uh, that's now he's had a bunch of things happen to him since the last listing because they said the Howard Chicken miniseries. They talk about well, here they follow Black Hawk uh, after World War II. It says following the end of World War II, Black Hawk set up his own private charter air service in the Far East. However, he met with little success and sank into a dissolute life in Singapore, a warrior without a war to fight. His life took a new turn when, in 1947, he was hired by a woman named Cynthia Hastings to recover gold from a Chinese bandit called the Red Dragon. Eventually, reuniting the team, the Black Hawk's began a new series of adventures so that's like they're covering all that stuff uh, i really dig the artwork i think it's really sharp it's got kind of a uh not Alex toth but almost like a pete morisi type simplicity to it uh he looks uh with his uh his uh, new cap he looks even more kind of like authoritative i dig the black hawk and the black hawks i always have and uh it's cool i like this listing quite a bit I like how his, his
1: his face is so thick. Like he's got this huge chiseled chin, chin and everything. Yep. The lines the lines are very, very clean. Looks just so sharp. Looks totally badass. I love the drawing. Absolutely. Yeah, and good. in the
2: serpent, he's parachuting in while shooting people, which is always good. And
1: then there's the Nazi flag all shot up full of holes in the back and everything. That's and right. Plane looks really, really cool. So in, in, in the story there, they talk about how, I mean, did, after the war, did he become like destitute, like
2: poor or something and, and drunk or an alcoholic or what happened to him? No, I don't. I forget. I haven't read the shaken one at all. I don't think he was that. It was just more like he was just sort of depressed because he he's a man of action and he had nothing to do post World War II. Okay. All right. Well, it's a great looking drawing. And if if I was reading
1: this and I knew Action Comics Weekly was on the shelves this month, I would be running out to pick it up because that's clearly where you would see more Blackhawk. Yep. And by the way, now we're about to talk about the Black Hawks, but I might as well pimp this now. You can follow for more information on the Blackhawk and the Black Hawks. Um, I would recommend you check out the brand new podcast that's about to start, Action Comics Weekly Podcast, by our
2: friend Little Chad Belkelman, and they'll be touching on the Blackhawks. Very cool. Uh, and as Shag said, next are the Blackhawks. Uh, Andre, you know, Andre, Chuck, uh, Hendrickson, uh, Olaf, Chop Chop, Stanislaus, and the new member, Lady Blackhawk, Captain Natalie Reed. Uh, because uh, between the previous listing and this one, Stanislaus was killed. We found out that Stanislaus had died. So they have a new member, and this is a, this is the Natalie Reed Lady Blackhawk, and here they all are together. Again, the art is by Bruchette and Marcos, and it looks terrific. It looks just like the other one. Uh, I wish they had maybe found a way to mix the two together like they did in the um, first listing, which was by Dave Cockrum, where it was like two separate listings, but they – Fit together as a piece they didn 't do that here, but otherwise it 's fine they look really sharp and I love Stanislaus pointing into the camera sort of uh, and then straddling the the plane and again it looks looks real sharp
1: it really does um, now, if I had to jump out or, or pick out, pick out anything that sort of doesn 't sit well with me it 's the Natalie Reed piece of it because we just got. In the last uh, Who's Who, I guess it was, or was it the original Who's Who series? No, it was updated. No, yeah, the update, yeah, because she's done yeah. the peekaboo butt thing. on Right, we had card. Zinda, yep. Lady Blackhawk. So they, they've, in just a few short months, they've decided to ditch Zinda for Natalie. Now, there is some dis- debate about who was the very first Lady Blackhawk. Like, if you go back to, like, I don't know, like 1948 or something like that, there was a Lady Blackhawk story. Right. It may have actually been Natalie. Um, I can't remember the details of it. I researched it for that episode, but it hasn't stuck with me. So you folks at home, feel free to, to let us know whether Natalie was actually the First Lady Blackhawk or it was Zinda. I don't really recall. But uh, it is kind of strange that they they chose one over the other. Hmm. But yeah. Gina, did you read these action comic stories?
2: Yes, I did. I read I read all of Action Comics Weekly. I, I think the execution was not great ultimately, but I really liked the idea, and I was kind of like a booster of it. So I bought every single issue. Cool.
1: The Blackhawk I mean, the Black Hawk stories by Rick, uh, drawn by Rick Burchett. Had to look gorgeous, I would assume.
2: Yeah, they look real sharp. They were, they were written by Martin Pasco. He did a good job. Oh, uh, I, I like. I, I like Howard Shaken, but it, it got dragged into like real Chaykin-y world. Like, sure. I think I think in the very first issue of the Black Hawk miniseries, you, you see somebody getting a a Hummer. So it was kind of like, <laughs> you know, we're like, yeah, this is a Howard Chakon comic, all right. Uh, <laughs> and I didn't know. I was a little uncomfortable with how much like. Seeing Blackhawk kind of shoved into that, okay. that world a little. So I kind of liked Martin Pascal going back and making it a little more, you know, a little more straight ahead.
0: Uh, uh, we'll uh, as it we'll works.
1: focus on that. Folks, the Action yeah. Comics Weekly uh, podcast is the place to get your Blackhawk fix then. <laughs> yeah,
2: good stuff. Uh, next up, Blackthorn, uh, a vigilante villain. Everybody calm down. First appearance is Vigilante number forty-five. Why would uh, they need to calm down? I was being sarcastic. Ooh, a vigilante villain. Oh, well, she's, by... she's
1: not really a villain, and she's hot.
2: Well, all right. Drawn by a a, a contemporary, a side character to Vigilante. It's yeah. uh, drawn by Steve Irwin and Al Vey. Uh, It's Nice artwork. She's got a ridiculous costume, very <laughs> '80s hairstyle, a lot of crazy stuff. She's basically one of your assassin type characters. Uh, she actually falls in love with Vincent Chase, who is the, uh, vigilante. So when you see her kicking a bunch of people in the background, she's got a kind of a goofy pose and then there's a close-up of vigilante and then there's a shot of the two of them, uh, making out or maybe doing a little more than that.
1: I think they're making the sexy sex. Right. Now she is, you, I love, I'm glad you mentioned the costume. Now, first of all, again, I'll say it again. She's totally hot. Uh, but the costume's absolutely ridiculous. She's got these, it's it's purple, first of all. So really, many
2: straps and things and right? bracelets and,
1: yeah. <laughs> a very bright magenta purple. She's got big old heels. Uh, the side of her outfit has like giant cutouts of like exposed skin all along the legs, the thigh, the side. Um, her boobs, I, not the, her boobs are so low cut that I got to think if she just bends over to pick up a piece of paper, they're coming out. I mean, I, I can't really see her fighting crime or or committing crime whichever you know wearing that outfit it just doesn't make sense now as you read through here there is a mystery of who is she uh i don't know how long they dangled that plot thread i don't know if she was somebody that we'd actually met somewhere else but there does seem to be a big through line of who is she really and she does end up connected to checkmate and ends up uh sort of kind of on the checkmate team it looks like if i'm reading she's this, in right.
2: this issue twice
1: yes she is yep and, um, you know, the most amazing thing is the artwork is by the Crocodile Hunter. I, I didn't realize uh, what a good artist he'd be. So. Right, but yeah. Alve is a great anchor, so he probably cleaned a lot of that up. Yeah. I like that she stole Phantom Lady's goggles. She totally did steal, it, and her hair uh, from the 80s, at least. So, folks, for more on Blackthorn, check out the Task Force X podcast, which not only covers Suicide Squad, but also covers Checkmate by our buddy Aaron Head Moss.
0: All
2: right, next up is Blue Trinity. The 3 superpowered villains of the third-generation Flash. This is drawn by Jackson Geis and Larry Malstedt. I, can't, I read the listing for once, and I can't quite figure out, is that guy in the middle supposed to be built weird? Is he supposed <laughs> to look like that? Because on the cover, you can't quite tell either. I get, or is it just drawn very strangely?
1: My my question here that I've written down is what the hell is going on with this guy with the frog guy?
2: Yeah, um, it doesn't yeah. mention it anywhere in the in the it, listing that he looked that he's like sort of differently built. It doesn't mention anywhere online either. I've done right. a, I've done a lot of research now. I I don't know if I
1: I, I, don't, I haven't read every issue of the original Wally series. Uh, at least the first fifty issues, I was very spotty in my collecting. So, I, I, well, I think I probably own them all now. I don't think I've read them all. And I don't know how many I've read of Blue Trinity. I don't remember their. this guy – what we're talking about is this guy is hunched over and his arms are reach from his shoulders almost to the ground. He looks like a frog. It looks like a human frog. And every picture I've Googled online, he doesn't look like this.
2: Right, and he doesn't really look like that on the cover
1: either. And they, they talk about how these guys were experimented on and everything. Right. And they talk about there was testing on animals as well. And then I started wondering if there was some sort of cross, but there's no mention of it anywhere. So, for those of you who read the Wally Flash and you remember the Blue Trinity, please explain to us why this, other than the fact that Jackson Geis is well-known for having trouble with anatomy, um, especially in these early days of the Flash,
2: what the hell's going on there? I like that it mentions they are all particularly dull-witted. <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys. And in the, in the short print, you see them all beating the crap out of the Flash at super speed. That image of Flash getting beat up, I think that's a cover. Oh, is th- it really? I think that's a cover of a Flash issue.
1: Now, Jackson might have just, uh, or Butch, whatever you want to call him, may have just redrawn it here, but it it's so detailed and looks so good compared to the foreground piece. I'm wondering if they just repurposed the cover. Because hmm. look at the way, because look at how perfectly squared off it is. Too. Right, right. It doesn't fit the background of the page. Yeah. yeah, that may just be the old, the cover they repurposed. I don't hmm. know. It's 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 a real miss, this whole thing. It really is. It, because Geis is better than this. He really is. Uh, even though, again, he, there's a lot of questionable, anatomy. like, even his flash in the update 87 was, uh, was kind of questionable. But it, this, is, this isn't quite right. I do like how Christina is referred to as Lady, you know, she's, um, Later on, actually, I don't know if it says it in here or not, she eventually becomes Lady Flash for a while. Uh, and then it eventually goes down a dark path. And then, in addition to Blue Trinity, there's a whole group called Red Trinity. And they're both Soviet groups, and they end up battling each other and stuff like that. It's interesting stuff, but uh, I don't know enough about it. But for more on this, you can check out either the Flash podcast, which mainly focuses on the TV show, but if these characters come up, I'm sure he'll touch on them, or uh, our buddy Kelson's blog, speedforce.org.
2: All right. Next up is Brainiac, the new version, who's known as Milton Moses Fine. He looks like a big old nerdy guy. <laughs> he's in a big pink jumpsuit, uh, and he's, uh, he's screaming to the heavens. Uh, and we see him in the Surprint um, and his before Brainiac guys where he's, he looks like a – he's dressed like a magician. He kind of looks like a uh, little, little Michael Bailey going on there in the background, I would say. Uh, he first appears – they give him two first appearances, first as Real Docs, which is Superman 167, and then the new version, which is Milton Moses Fine, which is Adventure Comics, Aven- Adventure Comics, Adventures of Superman 438, and it's like he's basically the new humanoid version of Brainiac. He's not the green guy or the big robot guy.
1: And this is interesting because it's drawn by Jerry Ordway.
2: Oh, I didn't and... mention that. Yes, it's beautiful, art drawn by Jerry Ordway.
1: Pretty much, almost all of the Superman entries in Who's Who, update eighty-seven, were done by John Byrne. And here you're going to, at least in this issue, they I think they're all done by Ordway, and because they all appeared in Adventures of Superman, which Ordway was drawing, and at this point, it's about to take over writing as well. So it's a nice transition from one to the other. And of course, Ordway's just got a gorgeous classic style. I think it's funny the guy's hair because it's almost like I guess that he shaved, He had long, crazy hair, but it looks like at this point he has shaved all of it except for a patch on the top. Right. So it's almost like. I don't know if you call it a mohawk or a top knot. I don't know what that is, but it's it's a bit of a hot mess. Um, he does look really, really goofy. You mentioned the pink jumpsuit. Uh, I don't know whether they always planned for this just to be a transitional phase, and it just so happened that who's who fell at this point. But I gotta think they knew they were heading to either the green, you know, typical classic brainiac or or the robot version. I gotta think they knew they were heading that way, and sure enough, they are heading that way. But. Yeah,
2: sure is pretty to look at. Though.
1: <laughs> um, yes, or the Ordway Art, Jerry, the Extraordinary Ordway Artwork is very nice. So.
2: Nice logo, too.
1: It is a nice logo. I think that's a, that's his, you know what, that is his classic logo. Because I've seen this, I studied this logo not too long ago for the, the the Hero Points podcast. Because Brainiac is featured in one of the modules we covered recently on the Hero Points. And his his logo's on the cover, and I just kept fixating on the fact that the two A's are not the same width. <laughs> Okay. Bugged the hell out of me. It's like clearly somebody was drawing it out and ran out of space. Then <laughs> they're like, got to make the letter
2: smaller. They used the same logo on the Breeniac superpowers package. so
1: I imagine they did. Yep. I imagine they did. It's all the, all about the same time. So.
2: By the way, before we get too far off this, I just went and checked it. Uh, that Flash surprint is from Flash number 8. So you got it right. Oh, look at that. How many times
1: are you going to say I'm right this episode? Wow. It's
2: amazing. Kinda, it is. It's, kinda it's kinda like a whole new pretty.
1: show. <laughs> uh, next up is... Well, per- Oh, Brainiac, I'm sorry, yeah. Brainiac. Check out "From Crisis to Crisis," a Superman podcast, which focuses specifically on this era of Superman, hosted by Michael Bailey and Jeffrey
2: Taylor. All right, next up, Checkmate. Uh, everybody's favorite team for uh, <laughs> Action Comics number 598, drawn by Steve Irwin and Alvey. And here we are, once again Blackthorne, uh, Amanda Waller, Harvey Bullock. Harvey Stein, and then a bunch of other characters whom I don't know. Uh, I n- <laughs> never read this book. Because their name's not on the side. I never read this book. I'm sorry, Mr. Kupperberg. I never I – just, it just never really appealed to me. And so I never really – I I know what they're about. I read the listing. and But I just – I don't know. Just, this, this is just all just like a big haze to me. Uh, unfortunately, we're both kind of in the same boat. I, I've
1: read a few issues of this book. And it just never grabbed me back then, but I wanted to. I gotta they're, tell you. They were
0: a
2: sister team to the Suicide Squad. It says it right there in the beginning.
1: Absolutely were. They were, they were like uh, espionage type stuff for the government, whereas right. Suicide Squad was, you know, uh, suicide missions. So the first thing is the whole theme, the whole, whole organization is based on chess. So you've got your knights, which are your field agents, you've got your pawns, which are like the support people, Amanda Waller's the queen. You know, they've, they've all got knight, uh, chess terms. The knights, which are the guys in the yellow and black armor, are just about the coolest looking soldiers. I've nice design.
2: Seen. Very nice design. There's no doubt about that.
1: I, when I was a kid and I would just draw characters like I wanted to make up or be or whatever, I would actually start with the checkmate outfit and then tweak to however I wanted. because I just think it looks that cool. The mask looks great. You've got the knight symbol on the chest, the gold and the black contrast so well. They just, it's, a, it's a gorgeous classic design that looks awesome. Now, for me, um, like you said, I, I never read it really regularly. So, like, every time I'd see Harry Stein in something, like, I can't help but look at him and think that's like a, a businessman douchebag uh, Maxwell Lord. Yes. Know, about the same time period. I don't know if that's right or not. And I apologize to those of you who have read it and are already writing a comment as I speak about this. Uh, I just don't know. And it does blow my mind that Harvey Bullock was part of it. Espionage team at some point, <laughs> you know, a clandestine operation. Harry, Ar- Harvey Bullock was a part of that. That blows my mind. You see, part of his shirt untucked over his belt. He
0: was little, probably eating a, a donut, donut too. Bull-
1: bullocky in detail. Now, again, the, the chest. I'm, I'm looking through my notes here. The chesting was great. Um, there's oh, you know, I meant to look something up here. Shoot, it talks about their headquarters. It's it's got a very strange name, Koenig Industries. I try to figure out if that was an anagram for something or the letter, you know, whatever. I couldn't, I couldn't place it. Someone tell me if I'm missing something, if there's a, or maybe that's a famous chess move that I'm not familiar with, but... Now, I did read the relaunch of Checkmate in the 2000s, like starting in 2005, where Amanda Waller came back again, and this time they had white queens and, and white kings and all that, and black queens and black kings and stuff like that to sort of balance out the, the espionage side and make sure one, one side of the, this international organization wasn't getting too powerful. That was a great series, because that was written by Greg Rucka, and you want to, you know, you want someone to write espionage? That's your man. You get Greg Rucka, and that was a really great series. So one day I'm going to go back and check this out. And um, again, you need to check out the Task Force X podcast. Our buddy Aaron Head Moss does cover Suicide Squad and Checkmate in it, so definitely uh, get your Checkmate fix there.
2: We're kind of making fun of Checkmate a little, but it wouldn't shock me if like. This this gets mentioned in the Suicide Squad movie. It should. I or mean, no. it's, it's such a right. I mean, be, I mean between Supergirl and Su- and Suicide Squad, there's a lot of like Paul Coverberg concepts and characters floating around in live action. So it wouldn't shock me that they just drop in Checkmate just as a reference for why not? Why not do it? Well,
1: for all we know, they already have. You know, they yeah. may name some Checkmate characters that we just don't know. So. That's
2: true. It's interesting. It's a blind spot
1: for both of us from the eighties. That's yeah. Yep, yep. I, I may have to now dedicate myself to reading it just because of my whole philosophy of finding my joy. And this is right in the time period where I find my joy.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right.
2: Next up is The Chunk from <laughs> another really great Flash villain. Uh, really great. Uh, Jackson Geis and Larry Malshett. This is from Flash 2nd Series number 9. He is, of course, his re- his real name is Chester P. Runk. Which of course turns him into Chunk, because that's what happens in the DC universe. You're always named; you always have a name that's very similar to, you know. Um, basically, he's a huge guy. He's six foot five, fifteen, just like I was back at Cubert. He can absorb material, organic or inorganic, and make it vanish to parts unknown. And if there is a limit to the mash, chunk, and effect, he has yet to find it. And we see him in a really cool portrait shot. I really love the serpent. He looks hulking, and they don't do any detail on his jacket. It's all black, so it's really striking of him shooting a bunch of stuff at Flash and stopping him. So that's a, the, I, I think the, the main drawing is just kind of okay. Uh, I mean it cannot be looks like Fat Albert, but uh, the, him getting up to the Flash is really, really cool.
1: Actually, I like both drawings. I think both drawings are really, really sharp. It just doesn't make for a very interesting entry combined. It's again, it's another uh, you know Butch Geis piece that just doesn't seem that well put together. Uh, even though each, again, I like both pieces. I, I, it's very stylized. You know, it's a very, it's it's not like a straightforward look. Now, this character to me, this character is sort of near and dear to my heart because when I started reading the Flash, he was a supporting character. He's like one of Wally's very good friends. And this whole ability, they end up using it to their you know, their advantage as a hero because, you know, as he became more connected to Flash. In fact, it mentions here at the end, he's living in Flash's mansion by this point. Sort of interesting, because of his the dimensional portal that's in him, he has to take in 47 times his own weight in super dense materials. And if he doesn't, he gets pulled through the singularity himself and ends up in this other dimension, which apparently he's done hundreds of times. So... Interesting character. He would be a fun character to introduce on The Flash. A guy who has an uncontrollable like singularity inside of him. That would fit really well with this Yes, it
2: actually. would. Yes. Yeah. yes, it would.
1: So. And for more on Chunk, check out the thespeedforceagain.org uh, or, or the Flash podcast.
2: Uh, he is only the second character that has an exclamation mark or some sort of punctuation in his name.
1: Uh, who would the other one be?
2: Uh, Rampage. Rampage was a Rampage exclamation mark. Uh. Now, on the cover, it does not say Chunk exclamation. It just says Chunk. So I don't know what's the official version.
1: And it doesn't say the chunk either.
2: No, no, it doesn't. It just says chunk. So. I didn't
1: I, I didn't realize his last name was Ronk. <laughs> like I kept thinking it was a misprint. I was reading the the, the, the text and I'm like, it keeps saying Ronk. What's wrong with them? Yep, yep. And finally I noticed under
2: personal yep. data. I'm like, what? Right on the nose. Uh, <laughs> next up is the Crimson Avenger, who, as uh, Shag mentioned, was in the middle of his miniseries at this point. Uh, here it's drawn by Magustovic. Uh, he is one of DC Comics' oldest characters, having first appeared in Detective Comics number twenty, a full seven issues before that. Piker, Batman. <laughs> so uh, they really said they gave him a listing. Most of the information here is not new. It's pretty much the same. I think. I mean, I don't. I didn't go back and look at the old thing, but like they do some. They get more into his backstory a little. And here he's listed. Here he's. Um, in his, co- in his previous costume. I think that's probably the big change. Because in the previous Crimson Avenger listing, he was in his later costume, which is more typical superhero. Here he <laughs> looks kind of like the Shadow with his red cape and shooting the gun. So, um, the artwork, meh. The logo is terrific. Yes. The logo nice. is just killer. Whoever did that really put a lot of time into it. That's probably um, probably, prob- Yeah, probably Todd Klein. Uh, and it does mention again how the Crimson Venture went out. Uh, One of the best deaths in all of comicdom. So, it gets that in here. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, he got a miniseries. I guess they were maybe thinking maybe, you know, he could go on to be a bigger star. I guess the miniseries didn't go too far. Um, So, that was pretty much it for the Crimson Adventure.
1: It's interesting. You know, I bought the secret origins issue. Which, by the way, the the big changes to this, as you mentioned, is visually they don't draw the goofy superhero costume he had with the fin. They draw the classic costume. Um, But there is some stuff in the origin that, Came mostly from the Secret Origins issue, which probably I don't know if they got repeated in the miniseries or not, but like it connected him to Wesley Dodds and right, things right. like that. So that all fit in here. And again, with the miniseries on the shelf, they wanted to at least pump up the character. Now, I I actually bought the Secret Origins issue myself, and I actually bought the miniseries, which was not something I would have expected. You know, in, in hindsight, I'm like, that doesn't sound like a you know, 15-year-old me, but I bought the miniseries, and I loved it at the time, so I I think it worked. It was effective. Now, the the artwork in this drawing, as you mentioned, is not, eh, it's so-so, but that's because Gustavich isn't really a penciler, if I understand right. He is the inker on the miniseries.
2: He's mostly an inker, yeah. Yeah,
1: so he was actually inking the miniseries, and maybe that's why they gave it to him, or maybe Greg Brooks was already doing Jail Time, I'm not sure, but, uh... I had to get the little joke in I, there. I, I was I
2: was desperate not to get it in this time, but thank you.
1: Oh, you were all flaunting it last time. I know.
2: <laughs> like, through caution to the wind. Well, so. I mean, he's out now, and who knows?
1: That's what you said last time. You said, "I don't care. He's not coming for me." <laughs> <laughs> so, that if you want more you. on Crimson Avenger, three different places. Uh, hang tight with our Fire and Water podcast because eventually we will get to his whatever happened to. Right. That's Right. And uh, you can also hear about Crimson Avenger on Ryan Daly's Secret Origins podcast, uh, one of the earlier episodes of that. And check this out. Upcoming soon, you'll be able to hear about Crimson Avenger on the All-Star Comics Review podcast. A brand new podcast just started by our buddy Van Z. Uh, not only is he covering the characters from the classic Golden Age All-Star Comics, he is going to cover the Seven Soldiers of Victory characters as well. Neato. Yep. First, up uh-huh. first, At the time of this recording, the first episode's already out, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Way to go, Van.
2: Next but up. it needs it needs more red B. <laughs> Next up is Danny Chase. Next, uh, Dr. Fate is the new version. I was just doing a little bit of comedy there. Uh <laughs> Danny Chase is from New Teen Titans, second series, annual number three. He was one of the new members. I had completely given up the Titans before this. So, and this this uh, any chance I had of going back to the Titans was killed by seeing guys like this on the team. I was just like, no. No, 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 no. I'm not. I'm not. He had a power of telekinesis. He can levitate objects. I don't care. He looks like this big old dork. I, 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 don't, I don't care. Here's the thing. I read the entry, and it reads just fine. It
1: actually reads fairly interesting. But there is a universal distaste for this character. He makes Jericho look like Nightwing. I mean, everybody hates this guy. I, I don't know that I've ever read more than one or two comics with him. Uh, I I read him as the Phantasm from the Titans Hunt, and that was a great character. I really dug that, but that was pretty much him dead at that point. So uh, it's—I mean, if you read it,
2: it's sort of like Spy Kids. I think that's part of why people hate it. I mean, the opening sentence is "Danny Chase, a spy for the Central Bureau of Intelligence." No, no, this big door, this, this, no. Well, it's
1: it's 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 a shame that the reality wasn't as interesting as this who's who entry makes it look. Um, cuz i again i don't really have any real experience myself but everybody hates this guy. Now did you mention the art by Mike Collins? It's
2: Mike Collins. It's pre- it's drawn perfectly fine. The artworks, i think the artworks fine. Uh i i, I hate the shot of all the titans mooning over him. It it makes me distrust them. I uh, think <laughs> oh you know, it's just like No wait, you just said you never read this era. I know. So how can you hate him so much? I don't know. It just looks stupid. It just looks really st- it just just uh, yeah. You're caught up in the fan group think. I maybe. Like I don't know. Doomed poor Jason Todd. Okay. I well, yeah. He also has a photographic memory,
1: so there's that. Check this out. I never knew this, and I almost
2: didn't catch this. Did you happen to look at his known relatives? John Chase, Sherry Chase, Franklin Chase, Adrian Chase. Oh, is oh he's oh he's the nephew <laughs> he's of the he's vigilante. The he's the vigilante's nephew. Well, why doesn't he do what his Uncle, do they didn't kill himself? Then. Oh my gosh! <laughs> you are so over the top. This just take one for the team, Danny. Oh Come on! God. I just couldn't believe it. when I found out he was the Vigilante's nephew. I was like, "What the hell?" It makes me hate him even more that oh, he's related yeah. to somebody cool. And he's got the most boring logo ever. Oh god! Fond. Just I just.
1: Oh. All right. For, for more on Danny Chase, check out Pop Culture Affidavit. Uh, by the way, no one in our circle has is doing a Teen Titans – I mean, no one's – I mean, okay, I should say it. Pop culture affidavit. That's our buddy Tom Painteris. He has done many episodes of his shows talking about the Titans, and he did a lot on his blog. But it's, there's also other stuff mixed in there. Nobody we know, at least I can think of, has a dedicated Teen
2: Titans blog or podcast. Interesting, considering how big they were.
1: Right. I mean, yeah. there are some out there. I, I did some searches. There are some Teen Titans podcasts but uh nobody that runs in our circle so maybe somebody should be doing that just playing that seat out there folks
2: right. get don't, on that folks don't start with Danny Chase next <laughs> up is Dr Fate uh now here now again their DC's very inconsistent with these first appearances
1: well look it, at the cover first before you say that what do you mean look at the cover i
2: what i i know what the cover looks like what do you well, what, what, oh what are they calling it Dr Fate 2 they're right calling
1: Dr Fate 2 Dr right.
2: Boogaloo. But he's well all right. I mean, the Brainiac is sort of—that's like Brainiac two, really. Oh, that's Brainiac. Well, identical. I guess so. All right. I. I anyway, they're talking about this Doctor Fate, who is Eric and Linda Strauss, not Kent Nelson. First appeared in Doctor Fate number one. It's drawn by Keith Giffen and Al Gordon. Uh, it has Doctor Fate running, kind of flying. flying. I guess he's flying. He looks like he's running to me. Uh, it, it's a nice. It's a nice little thing. Like I said, they did a whole new. Thing of Doctor Fate, Ken Nelson has, is dead at this point; his soul's departed. But he was uh, he's resurrected and took possession of his body. Thus, Nebu and Nelson's body serves as an advisor to the new Doctor Fate. So he's kind of like sort of Atlantising in here, where you've got the old version being the mentor of the new version. And here it's, uh, but he looks the same. The oh, you Dr. mean the first round is sort
1: of Atlantis, not not yes. the current sort of Atlantis? No, 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 no.
2: Yeah, the, yeah. No, we're not discussing that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So this is the new Dr. Fate, uh, and, and, you know, different from the one that was in even Justice League, number one.
1: Yep. So. Yeah, it's, it's, this all came out of the miniseries, uh, and it was a very interesting story. I mean, give you some of the background on it, because I'm, I'm pretty deeply steeped in this stuff. This was my Dr. Fate era. Even though I love the classic one more, this was really it. Huge, huge retcon, where basically they said that years ago, when Kent Nelson became Dr. Fate in the 1940s, the full intention was for him to actually fuse with Inza into one being a composite being of man and woman and that would sort of be the ultimate incarnation of Dr Fate but Nabu and this is all again all recon Nabu didn't want that he wanted to control Dr Fate himself so he stayed in the helmet and never let Kent realize that he was supposed to merge with Inza and to the point where eventually when Dr Fate would put on the helmet the helmet took over completely so then comes along this magical stuff the Kali Yuga the end of the fourth and final age of man, and so all this stuff happens with the Lords of Order and Chaos, which everyone loves, and then they introduce Eric. Basically, as you said, Kent's dying, so then they introduce Eric Strauss. And now, if you remember your Doctor Fate origin, uh, basically Kent was a little boy, and um, Nebu aged him to adulthood and trained him to be new Doctor Fate. Well, well Nebu's planning to do that with Eric Strauss. He's a little boy, planning to age, so he ages him to adulthood. But he does, it doesn't go as planned. What you end up with is Eric, who's a little boy as a man now, and his stepmother, Linda, uh, actually figure out that they, mer- they merge and become this unified Dr. Fate, man and woman one in one body, Dr. Fate. And that kicks Naboo out, and that's why he ends up in the animated corpse of Kent Nelson. And he's a total dick. He's a complete dick in the whole series, walking around in the, in the dead body of Kent. It's really bizarre. and so Because Dr. Fate, for the first time, is independent of Naboo. And uh, so it was, a, it was a trip. I mean, in the miniseries, Giffen drew it, and uh, J.M. Matisse wrote it. And, and that was how that miniseries went down. Four issues, very trippy stuff, lots of Lords of Order chaos. Then they come back 15 months later, which is about six months from where this issue comes out, which is where the Doctor Fate ongoing goes out. And I would say if you read that miniseries... Go ahead and give the Ongoing series a try. It's a very different flavor. It's drawn by Sean McManus. And I know how much you like Sean McManus' work on Omega Men. I do. I, I think this is even better. His work oh, you've
2: said that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: And, and for my money, Sean McManus's peak amazing artwork was on the Doctor Fate Ongoing series. And it's absolutely gorgeous. The first 24 issues tells this wonderful arc about reincarnation and the love between Eric and Linda, even though it's a little weird because he was a kid and she was his stepmother, but they eventually be- get involved and they're reincarnated and you get all kinds of great stuff. I cried by the end. It was that powerful. It was just that. Spiritual's not the right word, but there's a lot of mysticism in it. Very, 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 very good stuff. Now, Giffen, it, this drawing, see that little thing coming off his head which looks like an itty-bitty tiny little word balloon?
2: Right, or that's, maybe smoke. That's, uh, that's the the... That's Naboo,
1: right? The little puff of smoke yeah, or something.
2: Isn't
1: that, isn't that what that is? I don't isn't know
2: it, what that is. is
1: represent... Giffin would, would draw that a lot mm-hmm. on people around this time frame. So it's, I don't know if it's supposed to be like his breath, but like it's hot, it's cold and that's. Oh, I
2: always assumed it was like little a little representation of Naboo. No, because Naboo's walking around in Kent's body at this oh, Okay. Point. Oh, yeah. All right.
1: So, but anyway, it, it, this is also very uh, late 80s, early 90s. You can see because the cape. The cape is, is just flaring up for no apparent reason really high off the shoulders, which is sort of crazy. It looks cool, but a little crazy if you like... I actually... Uh, I have a couple different action figures, and some of them have those sort of ninety style capes that flare up like that. And when you see it in that style, you're like, oh, that makes no sense. <laughs> looks good on the page. In reality, it's like, oh, oh, what am I looking at? So, For more on Dr. Fate, uh, specifically this incarnation, uh, I would tell you to check out Ed Moore's Lords of the Order podcast. Lords of the Order podcast by Ed Moore. And check out the forthcoming... JLI podcast mm. Justice League International Bwahaha
2: podcast Coming in March 2016 Marketing Next up is Dr. Mist From uh, here It's says Super Friends number 12 Now Dr. Mist In the previous iteration of Huzu Was listed as being in that Like having a first appearance from a book Correct It was very unusual And they, they ditched that here Even though it's basically the same character uh, here they're just saying he flat offers to appeared in Super Friends number 12. The art is by Tom Artis and Doug Hazelwood. Uh, he had a bunch of appearances with Zatanna. Here you see him fighting uh, Felix Faust. So I guess they had enough to to update him. Um, he's just standing there in a very stiff pose. He's disappearing into the mist. Uh, not bad. I, I like the logo. The logo is really, really pretty sharp. Um, I like that his alter ego is Namo. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I just, it's just like it's a cool name. <laughs> This is an entry that really
1: doesn't isn't deserving, I don't think. I mean, the, the reason, the whole reason he got it is because he was in Secret Origins, number 27. And they made a big deal about his origin, and that wasn't too long ago when this is published. So that's probably why he got it. But, I mean, he's a minor character. He was a supporting character in the Global Guardians. I mean, well, I guess he was the leader of the Global Guardians. But here they explain that he's been around for 7,000 years, and he's been the guardian of the Flame of Life and he was waiting for man to evolve enough so that there, there could be a union between a, a magic person and a human person to create these ma- homo magi and all this stuff and uh, he ends up sort of like creepy spying on Zatanna being like hey she's got magic powers I think she's going to be my conquest so he, spe- he becomes a superhero with the distinct plan of waiting for her to grow up to become an adult and then hooking up with her it's pretty creeper <laughs> So, uh, and they, yes, they talk about Faust, because that's apparently what happened in the Secret Origins issue, was was stuff with Faust. And um, Tom artist I, I don't know who that is. I mean, it's, the, his name's a little on the nose, Art, Artists. <laughs> I believe he draws the Zatanna listing later on. Uh, well, he draws the Felix Faust entry in a few minutes, too.
2: Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay.
1: So, I mean, all three of them are connected. Now, Zatanna in the background here? Looks nothing like the Zatanna I know, but boy, she's adorable. She is just in the serp print that little uh, picture of her. Mm. She is just cute as pie right there. I want to put her in my pocket and take her home? Well, that's not creepy at all. <laughs> hey, better than Doctor Mist. I didn't dedicate my hey, life. Hey,
2: man, the guy's got Stalking a long game. What can you tell you?
1: I guess so. Well, check out Secret Origins podcast. Uh, they should get to uh, issue twenty seven pretty soon, and you get to hear Doctor Mist. All
2: right. Next up is Doctor Occult. Revised drawn by Rick Stasi And Rich Rankin Or I can't quite see what I'm looking at the uh, Rankin's right, yeah Rankin, okay, I'm looking at the print version It's kind of hard to read But anyway, I love the artwork It's mm-hmm. super cool I mean, he's Rick Stasi is completely channeling Joe Schuster And uh, Dr. O'Cole is a creation of Siegel and Schuster He first appeared in New Fun Comics Number 6 uh, He had had a big They gave him a lot of room in uh, Secret Origins he got his whole thing to himself. So I have to feel that, and, and they update some of his history here with a little more of a backstory and connection to kind of, I like think, the greater, you know, world of the DC Magi and stuff. Uh, he's got his little Orby thing, and he's holding it in front, and he's he's, he's putting the, uh, he's holding it like it's a Men in Black, where he's putting the whammy on you, and you see him in the background. You see him changing shape, flying around in this sort of his, like, holographic mist form. It looks really cool. I, I dig it. And the logo's terrific. I love the logo. Um, yeah, it's very cartoony lettering, and then the sort of the back shadow is sort of f- fading into the mist. It's super great. I love it.
1: This might be my favorite entry of the book. I'm not sure. It's, um, uh, it's just so stylized. and looks so great. It's totally boss. It looks absolutely great. They do talk about in here how, it, you know, in 1936, he appeared in a costume to fight a bad guy, so he was the first costume DC character, supposedly. That's right.
0: That's right.
1: And, uh... It's funny I mean, If you read his origin it's really crazy and, and they did talk a lot more about that I keep talking about Secret Origins Podcast But it keeps touching on a lot of these characters Secret Origins Podcast uh, seven, issue 17 Where Ryan and his guest talked about this one And it's some crazy stuff um, His name is Dr. Occult his, his name Dr. Richard Occult Is not his name It's actually Doc Occult And then he goes and decides to earn his doctorate So he can legitimately call himself Doctor And then comes up with a fake name and then his sister, and I'm wondering about how sisterly that is, anyway, is named Rose, or her name is Psychic. And so she just takes on the affectation of Rose, though, just so she has a normal name. But her name, so it's Doc, Occult, and Psychic are their actual given names. Totally bizarre. And he goes on to become a ghost detective. And uh, now the Rick, Rick Stassi, apparently this is the only time he ever drew him. I, I couldn't find any other time that Rick Stassi's drawn the character. So I, I just, I'm in love with this
2: one. Yeah, he did a Absolutely. great job. It kind of looks like Dick Tracy.
1: I was thinking um, that, too.
2: But uh, it more it's channeling... Joe Schuster. Uh, who's who, that
1: guy in the background? Oh, that must be his, his
2: his enemy, the one with that weird helmet. Yeah. I think that's Zador. That's the name of the guy. You just made that up. It says it right there. Yeah, whatever. It says it right... Oh, fine. I read the listings, then you get on me about it. <laughs> uh, next up is Doom Patrol, the first two-page listing. And this is the updated Doom Patrol and sort of the Paul Kupperberg later on Eric Larson, Gary Barton era, and that's who drew it. Uh, we've got all these new members. You've got, and, and to, uh, along with Celsius, there's Scott Fisher, Karma, Lodestone, alongside Negative Woman, Cliff Steele, Tempest, and Larry Traynor. Uh, and they are all jumping into the fray. Um, not big on this listing. <laughs> uh, the characters look kind of eh, and Eric Larson, just not, just one of my favorites. I, I, I don't know. I like Eric Larson stuff on Savage Dragon, but here it doesn't, it doesn't do a whole lot for me.
1: I've got a lot of comments on this one. Doom Patrol uh, was—they're hoping it to be a breakout book, and it started with Steve Lytle, and the right. art was just apparently great. Yes, and, and everyone kind of agrees. By the time Eric Larson came on board, the shine was kind of off this book. And at this point, issue number eleven is on the shelves, so there are only eight issues away from Grant Morrison taking over. Right. I mean, that they—they they knew this book was not going to go well. Now, did you catch a? There's a misprint in here. I don't know if you caught it or not. You, I would imagine you probably didn't. It's pretty subtle. What is it? The character Karma, they list... His, his real name is Wayne Hawkins, but they list him as Wayne Tarrant. Okay. And when I was reading this, I was like, Wayne Tarrant? What? The supporting character from Blue Devil? Oh. I to do, I oh to do, okay. Blue Devil had this obnoxious uh, actor who was just a, terro- he was a terrible actor and a total douchebag in Wayne Tarrant that they hung out with. And uh, so I was like, oh my gosh, is this guy related to Wayne? Turns out this is just a misprint. So oh, it's supposed to be okay. Wayne. But... So here's a well. First of all, I just want to talk about the art for a second. Now, as I said, the art is is so-so. Uh, I think it's cute that everyone has sort of color coordinated outfits. You know, like you've got Celsius in red, you've got Negative Woman in green, you've got um, Tempest in black, and then uh, you know, so they're all. And then all the trainees have like that magenta purple. It's just it's cute how they're all combined. You know, coordinated like that. Then and interesting, they're in Kansas City. That's kind of unusual for a superhero team.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I don't know what it is, but Negative Woman, she looks really hot. I Just something about her in that outfit, the way the jumpsuit fits just right. I, <laughs> oh, dear just, Lord. it's really nice. And uh, here's a shout-out to my friends over at the Waiting for Doom podcast. Scott Fisher should be labeled Hot Hands. Um, that was not actually a superhero name, but uh, that was the name they have dubbed him. would have been perfect for him. few other thoughts here. So, the way this worked, you had the main Doom Patrol, right? And then you've got their junior members, which again are Celsius Hot um, oh, sorry, not Celsius, uh, Hot Hands, Karma, and Lodestone. And those are like the trainees. It's interesting, in eight, comics in the 80s, that was a trend to try and introduce junior members to your team you were training. And I'm sure this all comes from Kitty Pride and the X-Men. It's probably where it all originates from, I would think. But if you look, it seems like this never worked unless you spun those junior characters off in their own book. For example, New Mutants... Was a group of junior characters, that worked, right? That was successful. Mm-hmm. Then you had Teen Titans, another junior group that was successful. But if you look at Alpha Flight, they had a junior group called Beta Flight. No one really likes Beta Flight. I no have one. Likes Beta no Flight.
2: idea what you're talking about
1: now. But uh, there was a group. It was a group within the group. You know, and same thing with Doom Patrol. Here, you've got this younger group. Um, X Factor had their their younger group. I want to say they were called the Exterminators. Maybe. Again, nobody liked those characters. And, um, there, God, there's other books, too, that I'm not thinking of right now. But the whole idea of creating a junior team within your team only seemed to work in the 80s if you launched them into their own book. So this is an observation I made while I was going through this. Hmm. Now, I would love for you people to write in and give me some more examples of these team-within-a-team concepts. I'm I, I just, I'm fascinated by this idea now. So. Hmm. A couple couple revelations in here, too. We found out that Larry Trainer
2: and the Chief were still alive. I was going to say, I don't, I don't like that, because that just means, and it mentions you, that Elastigirl was the only member that Doom Patrol killed in that one issue, which I don't like. That is, To me, that is like the cornerstone of the Doom Patrol history, because it's so unusual, and I kind of didn't like that that got unraveled over time. I would agree with you, except for the fact that it gave us Graham Morrison's run,
0: because
1: hmm. you, you really couldn't have done it without Rebus- uh, and, and the Chief. So, well, I guess you could have done it, but it wouldn't have been the same. Without the Chief, it would not have been the same. So, right, I, I give enough. it a pass just for what we got out of it. All right. So, all right, for more information on Doom Patrol, again, check out Waiting for Doom, that podcast. Uh, it's a great show, very entertaining. And then also check out our buddy Doug Zawisha, has a blog called My Greatest Adventure 80.blogspot.com, which would uh, be all about the Doom
2: Patrol. Next up is Duchess. Uh, who was formerly known as Lashina. She was a member of the Female Furies. It mentions here her first appearance as Lashina was from Mr. Miracle 6, but as Duchess, she's Suicide Squad number 9, and she's basically this big, honking, you know, she's 6'6", 225. Um, Now, we've been fairly critical of Luke McDonald previously for a lot of his other listings, and uh, who was it that took us to task for that? Is it Michelle Uh, Michelle Feefe? Yeah, Michelle Feef, it's Michel in the took comments. He we'll took his for that. But this listing, I love. I guess because he ain't dead himself, I think it looks terrific. It's my favorite piece I think he did in all of his Hulu, Huzu listings. I think this is beautiful. I, I would agree, all the way around. The Surprint looks great.
1: Good. He's really good at doing stuff in Shadowies. You know, shadowy shadows, and he pulled it off here. Her face in the surprint's in a lot of shadows. There's a lot of dark smoke in the shadow in the background image in the surprint. In the foreground, she's got that sort of sly smile and sexy at the same time, but really, really tough, Rambo tough. I think it's great. It's a gorgeous piece.
2: I really think it is something you do that he inked it himself. I think the inks here are a little, uh, and this is not bad. I don't mean this in bad way. Like stiffer, a little tighter. Uh, I think whoever was traditionally inking him, I forget who – Bill Ray did a lot of his stuff on Justice League. I think Bill Ray was a little too cartoony, a little too flowy, a little too loose for Luke, for Luke McDonald. I think you need somebody a little tighter, and McDonald's a good inker for himself. I, I, I was like – I'm like, man, if if he had done this – like, for Justice League, I might have been, like, totally on board because I think stuff looks great. The shot of her in the background with the with uh, Rick Flag and Deadshot and Bronze Tiger looks terrific. The gun looks really cool. Her pose is great. Everything about it. It's it's my, one of my favorite listings uh, in the book. Uh, like I said, I already said it's my favorite of the ones he's done, but it's one of my favorite in the uh, in the book as well. The book is – the gun is called the Mega Gun, by the way.
1: <laughs> you know, what's interesting is, like, I didn't have as much a problem with this stuff when I read Suicide Squad. It's just his Who's Who entries that I get hung up mm. on, you know? So it's – well, I, I guess I didn't like his Justice League that much. But uh, either way, his Suicide Squad issues I, I think are good. Now, it's it, fun stuff here. I mean, such a neat concept to take a fourth world character, you know, rebrand her, and put her part of a, a supervillain team. Just a really nice way to do it. I mean, there's a lot of similarities here between Duchess and Big Barda. I mean, very, very sure. similar. And, I mean, they were coworkers at one point. So. <laughs> and it, I, I actually get really, really sad when I see her now. Uh, in, in her Lashina role as a villain because like, I really liked her as Duchess and that was a really cool sort of mystery about you know who is she and, and I can't remember, it's funny, it's been so many years I can't remember whether the mystery was for the reader or just for the people on the team because maybe the readers already knew it was Lashina I don't remember, but there was a neat mystery surrounding her that you know, who was Duchess really so it makes me sad to think that she's a, you know, a villain again because I liked right. her in
2: this role yeah. so for more on uh, Duchess check out again Task
1: Force X podcast
2: Next up is Duma, or Dumas. I guess it's Duma, really. That's probably supposed to be the, you know, maybe. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) We we don't have a pronunciation guide. Uh, This is a villain uh, from Manhunter. Uh, he has Stephen Powell, Stephen Powell Lee, and has the power to change it, reshape his face through, 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 through sheer willpower. Easy for you to say. Yeah, really, man. And we see in a big, juicy close-up <laughs> in the surprint of him melting his face so he can change uh, his appearance. He's got a very ornate costume. Uh, he looks like he would fit in well in, like, Extreme Justice or something like oh. that. Uh <laughs> I have no familiarity with this character other than what I read here. I didn't read Manhunter. I mean you you mentioned it in the in yeah. the uh, InSuck Trades promotion. So yeah, I'm not familiar with who this person is at all.
1: I, I was a fan of this Manhunter series quite a bit. I came to it, it was sort of late, but it is written by John Ostinger and his and his wife who's who's now past, Kim Yale. It was a great series following Mark Shaw. Dumas was sort of his main foe. And as Rob says, shape-changing guy, assassin, really into collecting masks and stuff because of the fact that his face, he doesn't even know what he naturally looks like anymore. And that melting is sort of like, as you said, just sort of the trademark thing. When, he, when he's changing shapes, that, that becomes an issue with the melting. He, he, sometimes he can't hold a, hold a new look, a new face, whatever. So, and this is very early. I mean, as I said in the beginning, Manhunter's only a few issues in. And so they haven't even really had a chance to flesh him out yet. So this is almost more of a tease than anything, really. What else? Doug Rice was the artist on the book as well as the entry here. I love Doug Rice's artwork. Uh, It's nice. nice. It looks really good. And the Manhunter costume for Mark Shaw just looks totally, totally boss. So I definitely, you know, if find the Manhunter issues, you could probably find them dirt cheap in a quarter bin. I bet there was. I think there's only 24 of them, and you can actually follow along. And uh, because our buddy uh, Aaron Head Moss is going to start a new series, a new podcast called Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour. So it's going to be covering the, the Will Payton Starman and the Mark Shaw Manhunter. I'm really looking forward to that because those are two of my favorite characters. Hmm. So And again, check out that uh, Manhunter trade paperback I suggested in the in-stock trades because there is a huge reveal that is uh, well worth the payoff. So jaw-dropping, even, if you're a fan of the Mark Shaw era of Manhunter.
2: Shouldn't that show just be called the Starman Hunter hour? Starman Hunter? Oh! Looks the big brain on Rob. Yeah, shorter Twitter handle. I know you're big on that. Well, yeah. For, oh, geez, don't get me started. All right. Next up is Felix Faust. Again, drawn by Tom, Tom Artis and Doug Hazelwood. Way for Spirit back, way back in Justice League, of a number, Justice League of America, number 10. In the surprint, there he is taking on Zatanna. He's also taking on Dr. Mist, who is uh, looking quite uh, studly there. and Just a towel uh we see the close up of him without his little uh his little helmety he- thing headdress yeah. headdress he looks like mo from the three stooges uh the main pose i love the main pose it looks like he is I don't know. It's like he looks like he's on the road show from Cats or something. It's like a very, you know, Brosly Crowder. The New York Times says Felix Faust's says Rum Tum Tugger is a delight. You know, it's just like it, there's just something about it. I like can just hear Broadway music playing behind it. And it has that pose to it. But um, I think it's a very nice action
0: pose. <laughs> it, I, I don't know. Just, to C. me. C. I hear.
2: I just show hear, tunes. I hear feelings coming up from behind this. But uh, yeah, it gets into his whole ongoing fight with Zatanna and Doctor Mist. Um I just like Felix Faust. As a JLA fan, Felix Faust was one of the JLA's longtime villains. Uh very formidable villain. So yeah, dig it.
1: It's a it is a nice piece. Um I, I like this better than the Doctor Mist piece. It looks it looks very nice. You know, take a look at Zatan in the background there. That looks like an Art Adams drawing to me. Just something about the line work and the hair. It's just like if, if you showed me and said that's Art Adams, I'd be like, oh, okay, I believe that. It's, it's, a, it's a nice piece. It's interesting. I feel like he did a good job modeling uh, Felix Faust's face on the Gil Kane design. Because you get very you know, dark, pointy eyebrows. The eyes are the The, dark, the brow, yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, I see that. Yep.
1: It's a very nice homage to Gil Kane. Uh, as far as Felix Faust himself, the only reason he really merits the entry, again, is that Secret Origins crossover with uh, Dr. Mist. I, I always felt like Felix Faust is sort of like. Remember when Saturn Live? They were referred to them as the not ready for primetime players. Of course, Felix Faust is sort of the not ready for primetime supervillain for the Justice League. You know, I realize he's a big important one because he's been around since issue ten, and he has leaked his way into some media like the Justice League cartoon. But other than that, he just he's never broken through. Hmm. You know, he's he's never been in a live action, as far as I know. Uh, and if he has, it was clearly forgotten easily. He just he, He's never quite broken through like a Lex Luthor or a Joker or a Brainiac or one of those other characters.
2: Hmm. Well, I think it's because he was mostly a JLA villain. You know, he was not yeah. a individual hero villain. I, mean, I guess so. He did take some of them on, but he was a JLA villain, but yeah. Yeah, I, was, I I always was happy to see him come back. He came back and fought the JLA a million times over the course yes, of their series. So, so.
1: We um, can find out more about Felix Faust on the Justice League satellite blog that some schmuck used to run. Oof, wow. Uh, Shag, why don't you go do this one? Speaking of schmucks running blogs, <laughs> next one is Firestorm the Nuclear Man, uh, version 2.0. So... Um, First I'm going to talk about, well I guess I'll talk about the personal data history and all that first. The personal data section is so long that they leave almost no room for history in powers and weapons. Uh, because at this point Firestorm is has three people listed. It's got Ronnie Raymond, it's got <laughs> Professor Martin Stein and then M- Mikhail Arkadin. Because this is during the blank slate era of Firestorm. And uh, Now at this point there is a big mystery about how Stein what happened to Stein. Because Stein disappeared at the end of, of Firestorm annual number, not five, when Mikhail Arkadin joined. Stein disappeared, everyone thought he was dead, died of cancer. And that's not quite true. You're going to find out next month if you're reading Firestorm at this point in the history in 1988. And anyway, so again, it's just the data goes on forever. Like, known relatives takes up, I don't know, like longer than my will. And the only things that really matter here, you know, again, you've got the new version of Firestorm. You get like one big long paragraph talking about Ronnie and Professor become Firestorm. Then you get a really short paragraph about how Mikhail Arkanen is now part of Firestorm. And then you, in the powers of weapons, the only thing that's really new is you find out he's got this new power creating lava geisters. Uh, geysers, not geisters. Lava geysers, that's part of his powers he got from Mikhail Arkanen or Pozar, if you want to call him, so that's new. And then it doesn't actually specifically say this, but one of the things that was interesting about this character is, you know, whenever Firestorm was split before, Ronnie and Professor would be standing next to each other, right? Well, at this point in time, when Firestorm would split, Ronnie and Mikhail would return to wherever they were when they formed. So he actually was an intercontinental character. He would split, and Mikhail would go to the Soviet Union, and Ronnie would go back to Pittsburgh. And for the longest time, Ronnie and, and Mikhail never met face-to-face because they were on separate continents. It was, it was kind of an interesting time. So, Now, here is the biggest revelation or my issue with the art in this drawing. So you see the pose of Firestorm floating there? Mm-hmm. That is damn near either a tracing or a light boxing of Firestorm from the last page of Annual Number Five. Uh-huh. I, I pulled it out and I compared it side by side. The shadows, the folds of the cloth, the lines, everything, other than his hair. His, the, flo- the fire hair is a little different, a little bit of different on the face. But it is the almost exact same drawing as, that, uh, this is Brozowski, right? Yeah, Joe, yep,
2: Joe Buzowski, in The, the same, same drawing Rosa, Joe
1: Brozowski yeah. did in the last page of Annual Number Five, which was the very first panel that ever showed the the new blank slate Firestorm. Why they went to that length to recreate that picture? I guess it's iconic, maybe because it was the first time we ever saw the character. But I don't know; if it's really that iconic. So it, it sort of sticks in my craw that they went to the extent of redrawing that same picture. It sort of reminds me of the Flasher print being repurposed from that cover. Hmm. So I maybe they're getting lazy with who's who at this point. I don't know. Makes me wonder. Folks, if you spot any other reused artwork in this issue, please let us know. I'd be, I'd be fascinated to know. So. I like and the, the background, I like,
2: I'm sorry, that profile of Mikhail is quite nice. Or Ronnie is quite that's nice.
1: That's Ronnie. Yeah, you see, well, the, the Ronnie and Mikhail pictures are new. It's just right. the foreground picture that's redrawn. So yeah, you get Ronnie profile, you get Mikhail head-on, and then you see Firestorm. Um, you see the rocket red armor, which Mikhail was wearing when they first fought, and then you see an atomic explosion. I guess it's easier to say the word atomic.
0: So.
2: yeah. I Did love how know? oh I'm sorry, but I just I love I love how tortured the personal data has to get with three guys. Because it's like wait, Firestorm two oh two, Raymond one seventy nine, Stein one sixty one, Arkadin, one eighty, eyes, firestorm, white, no pupils, Raymond, blue, Stein, brown, Arkadin, gray. Like it just go on and on and no, on.
1: No, it never ends. It's so obnoxious. It's
2: getting crowded in there.
1: Well, again, he has so much origin, and then they can barely fit any of it in. And then his powers... yeah. Anyway. So, anyway, for more information on Firestorm, there is a blog called um, FirestormFan.com. It has a lot of information about that character. Or, you can check out something called the Fire and Water Podcast, uh, dedicated to Aquaman and Firestorm. You can find that on the iTunes.
2: Next up, uh, this is the epitome of making a silk purse out of a sow's ear. You've got forever people... Oh, dear Lord, they're back. We never have liked, but this time it's drawn by Ty Templeton, and it looks terrific. It really does. It looks great. I love it. I love their pose. They're super happy. I love that they let Ty do the lettering. For the characters, so instead of just being this kind of dull font, it's, it's hand-drawn. So we have got Serafan, Mark Moonrider, Beautiful Dreamer, Big Bear, and Viking. I still don't think these characters are really much of anything, but they look terrific. They just look, it's a great listing. The logo's always been cool. They've always had a great logo. It, the, the way Viking is standing and he's got his hand on Big Bear's head, it just sort of reminds me of like those group shots you would see for Hanna-Barbera cartoons. This is what this looks like to me. This is like. the it does fur... look like one of those it, teen force or whatever? Yeah, all they need is a car that talks or a dog that, you know, road or River repo. It's just like Hanna-Barbera, 9:30 on Saturdays, right after Gilligan's Planet. You can't beat it. It's great. I love it. They should have kept the super cycle and had a talk. There, there you go. Would have been yeah 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 speed cycle.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you are on your game tonight, sir. I'm telling you, I'm impressed. Now they had part of the reason they get this entry is they had just come off a six issue miniseries.
2: Right, 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 right.
1: Which was not drawn by Ty Templeton, but would no. have been amazing if they had. And they've redesigned the characters a little bit here. Like Mark Moonraider, his outfit's updated a bit. Serafin doesn't look quite as ridiculous. Uh, Beautiful Dreamer he, looks completely different. Right. Well, she's got short hair. She's got that 80s, you know, Pat Benatar crop look, and it still works on her. She's yeah, still sexy as great. hell. Yeah, looks great. Big Bear just – I. they made him look not quite as doofy, I guess you could say. Like before I always thought he looked kind of like you know doofy guy, but in here they say him and Beautiful Dreamer are knocking boots, so good on him. And uh, there's a lot of origin in here, though, too, where they talk about how some of them had turned evil, and there was this bad thing called the Dark which was infecting them, and some of them died, and then they turned back time so they weren't dead anymore. I don't really know how that works. But anyway, um, the thing that I read here that really jumped out at me that I don't remember ever seeing before, and it's possible that I was just so bothered by the original Forever People entries I didn't notice, but it says each one of them was born in a different period of Earth's history. So they all come from Earth, not from New Genesis. So I don't know if that's a new wrinkle from the mini series or not. By the way, did I mention? Yeah, Saraph- I don't remember any of that. Seraphine looks really cool. I mean, he looks really cool in, in his little headshot. Man, Ty is such
2: a. It's, good. It's, it's a good artist.
1: <laughs> man, good. he's a good artist. Wow. So, all right. So there you go. That's the Forever People. And for more on the Forever People, um, don't search them out.
2: <laughs> uh... Anyway, uh, if I started a podcast about this, I would call it Up With Forever People. Just so. <laughs> <laughs> next, next up, You've been saving all this uh, up for like seven months. All coming all out tonight. Those Thank those goodness. Mixed yes. up is Gangbuster. Uh, a supporting character from the Jerry Ordway run of Superman. He first appeared in his regular guise of Jose Delgado in Adventures of Superman 432. And then his gangbusters. It gets a g- gangbuster from Adventures of Superman 434. Um, okay. This is drummed by Jerry right Ordway, which means it's awesome. I am going to make one small criticism, however. <laughs> You're going to knock on the costume designer. No, the, the costume's <laughs> fine. Oh, the helmet's a little weird. And I, I kind of... Like his symbol of the fist or whatever. But okay. Now, when you draw uh disembodied heads, Oh, jeez. Right, you yeah. really don't include the neck. <laughs> when, you, when you include the neck, they look like they've been decapitated. It doesn't look like it. De- the, the, the disembodied head is something in comic books we've all come to accept. Kind of like the way people, when they talk about themselves, they talk in their logo. You know, they're like, "Oh, look, it's Superman," and you see the the logo. And, and to anyone who doesn't read comic books, that is like, "What am I looking at? It's gibberish." <laughs> Same thing with disembodied heads. But here, Jerry drew the neck. He uh, look like be, her head's cut, cut off. It looks like this poor girl has had her neck. Her her head lopped off, which is very upsetting. Um, Jose's
1: ears right underneath it, so it almost looks like dripping blood.
2: It's just very, very strange. Uh, it also does mention that uh, Delgado, uh, has his spine was snapped, and his doctor has told him he will never be able to walk again. So that's kind of a very sad thing. I'm going to assume that they got over that at some point because they do leave some wiggle yeah. room there. Because he says his doctor says he'll never walk again. It doesn't say he will never walk again. Other than the severed head, the rest of it looks really cool. I dig the logo. Very simple. We see Luthor. We see Superman. It's great. It's Jerry Ordway. The costume, eh. But Ordway makes it work. Yeah, it's a very
1: simplistic costume. It's the kind you would almost expect to see in the Golden Age, other than the numjucks.
2: It's a costume that a guy with not a a lot of resources and no superpowers would put together himself.
1: I suppose so. Yeah, probably. I liked this character. He, you know, he's a vigilante in Metropolis. No powers per se. Just going around busting heads. You know, trying to break up the gangs, as his name suggests. He was a guidance counselor. He actually had a connection to Perry White's um, troubled son, Jerry White. And so that kind of how he got involved in all this. It was a, it was a neat character, and you're right. Yes, he does get better. He he gets out of the wheelchair eventually. And uh, there was an interesting storyline though. Shortly shortly after this. Where Gangbuster returns, right? Gangbuster's out there cracking skulls, and he's become more and more violent. But Jose, if I remember right, I think he's still in the wheelchair at that point. So it's not Jose. So who's this? And you know, who's this person who's going around beating up everyone up as Gangbuster? Turns out it's an amnesiac Superman who actually <laughs> took on the role of Gangbuster wow. and uh, was knocking skulls around quite a bit. So interesting story that that back then, but fun time. And Michael Bailey tells a story, and I hope I'm getting this right. Bailey, tell me if I'm right or not, but where. The, the creators behind the Superman books actually wanted Jose Delgado to graduate, if you will, from being Gangbuster and become the new Guardian.
2: Okay, so they, similar of, costumes. I see that. Yeah,
1: exactly. Same kind of concepts there. And uh, apparently, I guess they had plans for Roy. Uh, was it, isn't it Roy Harper? Isn't that his name? No. Roy, Roy Harper is Roy Speedy. So, so, Jim Harper. Okay. Um, to become the, the clone to do the, the, the clone version to become Guardian and stuff instead. But it um, would have been interesting if they'd gone that route. Hmm. He's a cool character. And for more on Gangbuster, also again, check out From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. All
2: right, Next up is Gargwax from Doom Patrol. <laughs> <laughs> you know, between him and the chunk, this episode should have been sponsored by SlimFast. Uh, <laughs> this is... I saved that one up too. He's 6'2", 678 pounds. Uh, they don't mention... at like they don't mention when he ballooned up in the uh, listing, so I don't know. Like, is this just Eric Larson's?
1: I think it's I think it's artistic
2: license. Okay, yeah. okay, because he was never. I mean, he was big. He was a big fatty, but he's a, now he's. But he's like, now a, he's he's, a balloon. Yeah, I mean, he's absurd, uh, and we see him squaring off against a Doom Patrol. Uh, not Doom Patrol, Robot Man, um, and then the big close-up of him in the background with uh, him and the uh, him and his multiple chins. Uh, he is a would be world conqueror, which is nice uh, I like it says i like it 's good, good. good work if you can get it. I love this base of operations mobile in his starship because that 's telling you that he 's too much of a fat butt to get around on his own <laughs> He needs his starship to get around so uh and then one last dig at the bottom in powers and weapons, the obese gargowax is a poor hand to hand combat.
1: No, you would think.
2: He also Look can't at his touch tiny his feet. little
1: feet sticking out from under that robe. You, you would think he'd have like elephant feet or something to hold him up.
2: <laughs> his superpower is that he cannot see his genitals. That's really... <laughs> Oh my gosh.
1: <laughs> well he uh there's other stuff in here too that talks about how he just distro- he accidentally destroyed his own planet.
2: <laughs> oh that's right, yes. Yep. The destruction of the planet he claims was inadvertent.
1: And then uh, he fights the Doom Patrol uh, apparently the same month that this issue came out. So he was coming back. I think it was there just going for a creative license issue. Okay. Because right. he looks cool. I mean, I I dig this. I actually like the way this version looks better than the original version that it's was It's memorable. Yeah, not about it. He looks like an alien. He looks something completely different in humans. So. Right. Well, again, for more information on this, uh, check out the uh, Waiting for Doom podcast in mygreatestadventure80.blogspot.com.
2: Next up. Ghost or the, the ghost, ghost, the ghost, excuse me. Uh, this is a character from Captain Adam from Charlton Comics, first appearance in Captain Adam number 14, drawn by Pat Broderick, Shag's favorite, and Dennis Janke. This is unusual in that the background is not in sur print. Oh, it's I a, didn't even notice It's that. a full on pinup, it's a full on color, which makes me think, being cynical as I am, that this was drawn for another purpose and then they and just dug it out. It-
1: doesn't fill the space either, and it
2: doesn't fill the space. Uh, it it really. St- I mean, it's a nice drawing. I like the the character is cool looking. I mean, he's a you know he's an all white because he's a ghost guy and he's got a hood, so I mean he looks really neat. But it just sticks out that it it's not it doesn't follow the traditional who's who format again, which makes me think this was mm. no- they were doing all sorts of stuff for the Charlton characters, trying to find different ways to repurpose them and i have to think this was done for one of those and then they just dug it out and just threw it in there so hmm. but it, but it's nice looking. i mean he's he's kind of menacing over the city I and mean, he's a bad guy um but it the looks, translucent the translucent effect is really yeah, cool yeah it looks terrific the logo's great uh it looks really cool a group affiliation member of an unknown cult
1: <laughs> well they do tie that in they say that he you know he's he's gone through all these changes i i do love the art the belt looks great as well the technical belt and stuff like that i kind of I, I seem to recall remembering I fell in love with the classic uh, pre uh, first Who's Who entry for the Ghost. I seem to recall I fell in love with that. I just thought that was the greatest thing. And so I, maybe I, I don't know, I like Pat Broderick. I, I guess I need to look at them side by side to see which one I like best. But So he had a power of teleportation. He went through a period of time where he wanted to be called the the faceless one rather than the Ghost, and I guess the Ghost actually stuck. Now, you mentioned the Charlton character and first appearance. That Captain Atom 14 is actually the DC version, not the Charlton First appearance. Oh,
2: is it really? Huh. Yeah, I
1: looked, I looked it up. Oh, the, wow. the child one, I think, it was like eighty-two or something like that, and I could be a little bit off. No, there.
2: no, wait, no, 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 no. What? It would have been in the eighties. It would have been no, no,
1: no, no, Captain Adam number eighty-two.
2: Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, or, yeah, okay, yeah.
1: Something like that. So no, this this was the Captain Adam fourteen is is the DC version. So they don't have an original first appearance. Now, you know, my stepson, he uh, he saw me reading this comic, and he's looking at the cover, and the ghost is on the cover. And it's, it's this costume. And basically, you see how the hood kind of comes to a point? hmm Yeah, he looked at this and he's like, uh, it kind of quietly whispers me, is, is that guy KKK? <laughs> and I'm like, oh. And he's like, they really need to. I said, no. When he's like, they really need to redesign his costume. <laughs> and I think he's got a fair point. Um, probably could use a redesign for that very reason. So anyway, the techno belt looks cool. And uh, I like the teleportation powers. I seem to recall his, his original powers had to do with teleportation and stealing stuff from safes and stuff like that. It was, it was an interesting character. So, um, For more on the Ghost, you can check out several places. You can check out the uh, Power of the Atom podcast I mentioned earlier that's on the DC Bloodlines thread because he does cover some Captain Atom stories. You can check out the Splitting Atoms blog. And you can also check out the Silver and Gold podcast, which uh, features our buddy Jay Jones and Roy Cleary covering Captain Atom and Booster
2: Gold. Alright, next is Nort. Yay! You said League it. In- you said it right.
0: How oh, was
1: she supposed to say? Well, uh, there's there's a lot of people don't know whether you say Gnort or. Oh,
2: I always assumed it was Nort. Yeah,
1: it is just Nort
2: um, from Justice League International number ten, drawn by my pal Stephen De and inked by Richard Bruning. I never liked Nort all that much. <laughs> I just I felt like it was like a funny joke that just went on way too long. Okay, like I I, I, I like the idea of kind of like a a. a a Green Lantern that got pushed through the system because he, he he was a legacy. Like, that's a funny idea, but like I think it just went on. just It just kept going, and I was like, alright, now it's not really funny anymore. Um, but, you know, here it's fine. Uh, it's just Stefano's a perfect artist for a humor character, and they really bring it up. You know, they really play it up. Here he's playing... Uh, What's that? What is he playing? Cricket. He's playing cricket or croquet, and he's drinking some coffee, and then he's scratching himself like a dog. Because he is a dog, and he's lighting his cigarette with uh, his Green Lantern ring. So, you know, it's cute.
1: I've done – being that I'm doing a Just League International Blah Ha Ha podcast coming out in March, Mm. I've done a lot of research on this character. Um, Because I wasn't a big fan of the character either back in the day, especially when, like, Joe Staten would draw him. You know, it just it didn't do much for me. But now that I've done my research on it, and I'm rereading this right now, at least so far, up through issue 24, 25, 26, somewhere in there, just like, I, I'm in love with this character. He is hilarious. He is so funny. And reading some interviews and stuff, I found out what when, they, when Keith Giffen and uh, J.M.D. Mateus created him, their, in, uh, their intention was originally he was supposed to be based on Ed Norton from The Honeymooners. Okay, I can see that. They even gave him the vest. You know, to sort of right, match up right. with it. And Nort, is a Norton. Uh, and then as know. time went by, uh, Mark uh, uh kept rolling in aspects of Woody Allen. Hmm. So he's supposed to be a, a, a cross between Ed Norton and Woody Allen, but more Woody Allen towards the end. So, very interesting. Hmm. So, it, it's kind of funny, as you said, that he got pushed through and became a Green Lantern. So, they gave him a sector completely devoid of life. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he calls his, uh, his his power ring, he calls it a ringy-dingy, which was always cute. And then I was wondering why Stefano drew this, because uh, he didn't draw any Justice League as far as I knew. But he drew Nort's origin, Secret Origins number 34. Ah, okay. I assumed it was just because Nort's a humor humor character and Stefano was good at that. Oh, it's so. a good fit, certainly, yeah. 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 But And I love the fact that he's smoking That's just not something you saw superheroes mm-hmm. do so, For more on Nort, check out The Lantern cast with our buddy uh, Chad Bokelman You can check him out on an upcoming episode Of Secret Origins uh, Podcast Or you can find more about him on the Justice League International Bwahaha Podcast Coming in March
2: Next up is Godiva From New Teen Titans Annual number 3 uh, This character has some connections to Danny Chase drawn by Michael Collins again. It's interesting. It's very different style. It doesn't, to me, this does not look like the same person that drew the Danny Chase listing, but it's, mm. it's supposed to be. Um, uh, they talk about the Godiva. The Titans met first met Godiva in France after she kidnapped the parents of Danny Chase. Uh, Spies who could tell her where to find the European defense satellite that she planned to steal and resell to a rival nation. Um very cartoony it actually to me this looks more like steven de Stefano's artwork than I it does michael yeah, collins the, the, the smiling faces Yeah. looks very um, different there's a nice profile which is very cartoony it's very solid uh she has like a little uh the little floating basey thing in the background which makes up the g for her logo uh it's it's an interesting character i don't really know anything about her like i said i, I was gone from teen titans by this point but uh it's kind of interesting looking she looks uh, a little like uh oh Amy Winehouse. A <laughs> little Amy Winehouse to me here.
1: Oh, well, she's she's totally hot, for starters. And I love the smiling. And apparently she is the daughter of a Chinese prince and an African princess. And uh, with with her mental power, she, she controls lots of people. But apparently she's very, very, very vain. It's like a sparkling she... effect is the, yep. the mental power thing. Now, being that hot, I can understand why she'd be so vain. I'd be looking at myself in the mirror all the time as well. And as you said, a lot of Danny Chase, a lot of espionage, a lot of theft in her origin. And by the way, she's Godiva 2. Because the original Godiva was part of the Global Guardians. And so she's oh, technically the right, right, second right, one. Right,
2: right.
1: Um, and you're right. I don't think anyone's reading Teen Titans by this point. And I don't know that she was a reoccurring threat for much. Um, doesn't seem like she would have been. So, but my best recommendation, again, until someone can get a Teen Titans thing off the ground, uh, check out Pop Culture Affidavit.
2: Right, nice stuff. Next up, Green Arrow by Ed Hannigan and Dick Giordano. This is Green Arrow in his new form. I think most of this is the costume. Uh, and because it's really the same listing, all the same history and everything else until the very end where it mentions that they now live in Seattle, Washington, and he's living with Black Canaries. To me that's like really the main thing. And then it's so it's the visuals, is that he looks kinda of like Robin Hood now. Um it's okay. I, I Ed Hannigan is a good artist. Um this isn't I don't think some of his best work, I think the the, the anatomy is a little wonky and the pose is just a little on the on the dull side. Um but it's not bad. The profiles of of Ollie and Dinah are nice, Uh, and uh, I always have to mention, of course, he first appeared in More Fun Comics, number 73, the same comic that gave us Aquaman, so very historic book. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it's more
1: than just the costume, because the fact is, at this point, you know, Green Arrow had his own ongoing series that Mike Grell was doing. Yeah, that's true, that's true. And Ed Hannigan was drawing it, so that's why he drew this entry. And And it's more than just the look, too. I mean, you know, he's switched to the longbow, and he's dropped the... Uh, trick arrows in exchange for conventional arrows yep. through the neck. That's it now.
2: <laughs> yeah, I guess so.
1: Um, Boxing
2: glove arrows are for wimps.
1: That's right. And they moved to Seattle, and you know, in Black Canaries, you know, back in the fold and all that. So I mean, I think there's more than just the look. And again, pushing it because it's got its own ongoing series, so that's a big deal. So, I think, you know, I like it. Now, I I hate that you mentioned the legs uh, or or his anatomy because I like the top half of this quite a bit. I hadn't noticed the legs, and now I'm never going to be able to unsee that. Thanks so much.
2: You're welcome. It's like that stormtrooper that bangs his head on the desktop.
1: Right. You can never unsee that again. Yeah. So, all right. For more information on uh, the Mike Grell Green Arrow, check out Warlord Worlds podcast. Our buddies Darren and Ruth Sutherland are doing that. That covers all kinds of Mike Grell chocolatey goodness. Of course, you can watch, you know, the Arrow TV series. He's got his own freaking network TV show nowadays. Or you can check out our buddy Van Z, his All Star Comics review podcast, All Star Comics review podcast, uh, where, again, they'll be covering the Seven Soldiers of Victory. Hooray! Oh, yay. You know, you know what my, you know what my defining memory of the Green Arrow Mike Grell series is, like it it seemed like in every issue or at least every story, either at the beginning or the end or whatever, Ollie and Dinah would be having sex and get interrupted. That's yes. my like
2: well, that, every episode. Well, that that happened it. in Justice League all the time, but it was it had around. to be more subtle. Yeah. Oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. They were always talking about everything. The JLA signal went off. It was like. Meanwhile, Oliver Queen and Dinah Lance are involved in um, more personal activities. They were always hinting at it. Yep, 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 yep. Those two are just going at it like crazy. Yeah, they really I really like I, it. I don't they blame r- the guys. Really, really, really like each other. Yeah, there you go. Uh, next up is Green Flame, uh, aka Flame, and I think Fury. Didn't they change your name? Yes, to Fury? It was Green Fury first. Green Fury. Then Green Flame. Then Green Flame. Then Fire. Then Fire. That's right. Okay, it's Fire and Ice. Yeah. Um, so she first appeared in Super Friends number 42. Uh, her alter ego is de Costa. She, of course, did not have this costume in Super Friends because that book was for kids. Um, <laughs> what the hell is she leaning on? I think it's one of those little radiators,
1: like a, a, a stove that you would have in your apartment. But
2: it looks like it's a pillow.
1: Oh, it's a, and it's burning coal, too, isn't it?
2: But it... It doesn't. It looks it was, like it's, it's soft. It's,
1: it's Keith Giffen.
2: Okay, All It's right. Keith Giffen I, in the I, late '80s. You I, just I, go I, with it. I read this listing like five times, and that wasn't hard because there's not much here. Right. But I was like, it doesn't. I was like, what? What is that thing? I don't understand it. But anyway, there's a close-up of her shooting flame out of her mouth. Uh, and then there's a close-up of some of her fellow J.L. Iers, drawn yep. by Keith Giffen and Al Gordon. It's very nice, very minimal. There isn't much to say about her because they had just basically brought her into the Justice League, and that was when her development really started. Uh, hell of a costume. Her development. <laughs> She's very developed. Yeah, It's a very revealing costume.
1: Oh, yeah. very. It's very sexy. Very, very sexy. Hips, uh, hips don't lie. And it's interesting that they don't play up her her sexual veracity in here, um, because in the comics she's, she she tries to bed all kinds of people.
2: <laughs> Wait, did you just make up a word? You said verocity. That's a combination of two different words. Is it really? I think you meant to say velocity, or no. what's the other word? That I, mean, or, uh, I meant to, I meant to say the word I said, but maybe it's think a word. I velocity is a word. Yeah. Okay. All right voracious. For, I, think you meant, I think you combined velocity with voracious. <laughs> and you got a veracity, new word, velocity. Ver- ver- okay. It's It's cool, she's I like
1: got, it. She's got her that word, her, 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 her sexual appetite is, even in those early issues of JLI, I mean, she's, she tries to bed Bruce Wayne, um, wow. that, who actually she tries to bed Batman, who is disguised as Bruce Wayne, who she doesn't realize is actually, she, she thinks Batman is disguised as Bruce Wayne. She doesn't know he actually is Bruce Wayne. And she tries to seduce him. Uh, I mean, she's just climbing all over people in that book, so they, none of that comes up at all. Uh, sadly, at this point, her 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 power is to shoot flames out of her mouth six inches. That's the only power she has. Now, does it talk about her hand to hand fighting? What's it say? Above average. See, it, I would say she's an exceptional hand to hand fighter. I don't know. Maybe they hadn't established enough, but she she could kick the crap out of people. But the JLI book, though was mostly about what happens when the heroes aren't fighting people. It's mostly about what goes on after the fights are over and they're hanging out at the clubhouse, which explains why a girl who can shoot flames out of her mouth six inches is a, is a member of this international team. And, you know, it's, it's not going to be for another year or two that she even becomes fire, where she, her whole body turns into, like, the human torch kind of thing. Oh,
2: right, right, right. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, But it's a it, fun character, such a fun book. And it, it's it is though when you step back from it though it you do sort of like look at the Justice League and go okay she's standing next to Green Lantern who has a power ring that can do anything
2: and she can shoot flame six inches and she can light a candle good for her
1: well apparently she can get it up to like acetylene torch. Like, right, she
2: can melt steel yeah yeah but like it's
1: yeah it doesn't make sense she's on the team other than it just works in the story really well
2: yeah yeah so
1: uh, uh, for more on Green Flame you can check out the upcoming Justice League International. Wahaha podcast coming in March 2016 to the Firewater Podcast Network. Ding.
2: Next up is Green Lantern, drawn by Joe Staten, the great Joe Staten. Uh, great profile shot of him recharging his power ring, putting the big whammy on Sinestro, and a close up of him without his mask. The big change here in the Green Lantern is that, and it's a pretty big change, is that all of the Green Lantern core had been destroyed, and there were just a couple left. Yep. Uh, that was really the big development in the Green Lantern universe, which is the main reason why he and Gets and then the following listing are happening here. Nice artwork. Joe Staten inks himself. Sharp stuff. It looks really good, especially the Green Lantern one. I mean, it's really, really
1: good because, you know, I've, I've had a lot of not kind things to say about Joe Staten, especially in the last few issues that we've covered. But here, as you, as you mentioned, it's, apparently when he inks himself, it looks great. I love the Hal picture on the left-hand side. You know, him grabbing Sinestro, just the line... Like, even his feet. His feet just look clean-lined and just nice. I'm very pleased with this angular sort of drawing. So the four people who kept their powers, the four Green Lanterns, were
2: Hal... Guy Gardner. Guy Gardner. um, Nort. Nort and Chip. And Chip.
0: What the hell?
1: (laughs) I mean, I, I assume Steve Englehart was going for something there. but So this is only a few short months after Millennium. So they headlined, basically, a crossover. And then I guess because the crossover was so bad, they said, you know what, screw it, just kill all the Lanterns. Just kill them all. You know, all 3,600 of them, poof, down to four.
0: Hmm.
1: And uh, it's pretty harsh. And they, they brought Sinestro back, and that's what happened. Hal unleashed the yellow impurity, which destroyed all but the four rings. And um, it was a big deal. Now, this is right when Hal is about to go to Action Comics. Right, and uh, where he's going to be in Action Comics Weekly, and we're about one year away from one of my favorites, Emerald Dawn. Okay, that's when I finally, finally fell in love with Green Lantern. Okay, if you want more on Green Lantern, uh, you should check out the Lantern Cast by our buddy Little Chad Bokelman, or you can check out his new show, Action Comics Weekly podcast, which will be covering the house segments, or. Uh, Our friend, uh, dear friend, Sean Engel, who's passed away now. His show is still out there on the Internet, though. Just one of the guys covering a a lot of Green Lantern stuff, so definitely worth checking out.
2: Next up is the Green Lantern Corps, and it's basically all the same reason for a listing. It's just the new, updated, what happened to the Green Lantern Corps. Although this points out that uh, it is known, however, that sometime in the future, the JLA Corps will be back at full power and serve the universe by the late 30th century. So, just have to hold on until then. Uh it's drawn by Joe Staten once again, and inked by Joe Staten, but this time it's got more of the team. You've got Aresia, Hal, Kilowog, Chip, Guy Gardner, uh, John Stewart, Copma Twee, Salak, and I forget the names of the big plant looking guy. Right. And then the other real scratchy looking dude, and then the one who looks like a pillowcase. So I forget right. the name forget the names of all those guys. <laughs> but uh but uh anyway. Uh, yeah, it's cool. It's nice artwork. You know, again, it shows state, I'm a big fan, and it uh, looks it looks great.
1: Well, it really looks like Hal. The Hal picture there looks like he's really trying to channel the face of Gil Kane.
2: Yeah, I see that.
1: Yep, it looks like a Gil Kane face. So, and uh, by the way, just from a time perspective, one uh, this this issue here of who's who published about seven months after the last issue of Green Lantern Corps. So, it's mm. a long time for there to be no Green Lantern book on the shelves. That's wild. It's unconce. It's inconceivable nowadays. Yep, and at, and then at this point, uh, Kilowog goes on to be a supporting cast member of what book? Uh, what what book? He doesn't have any powers, but he's has very good with technology, so he goes on to become the sort of the house mechanic for. I'm forgetting what Justice League International.
2: Oh, that's right. Geez, yep. I forgot all about that. You know where you can find out more about him and during that era. Um, oh god, I know there's no podcast, so I don't know, perhaps <laughs> some sort of wiki page? <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: good enough, good
2: enough. Alright, cool. And then we're going to wrap the book up with Harlequin. Not Harley Quinn. Not the Harley Quinn Not the Harley Quinn, not, not the Harley other Carly, just this Harley Quinn first appeared as Marcy. Marcy Cooper is her secret identity, she's a professional criminal. Infinity Inc. number 14 and then appeared as Harlequin in Infinity Inc. number 46, uh, this issue uh, must have been a pain in the ass to draw because she's got a, she's got a suit made of a checkerboard pattern. That I, I just whoever designed that just is crazy because that's just forever. Uh, I think it's probably uh, the guy who drew it, Vince Argandese, uh, Argandese and Rich Rankin are the uh, artists. It mentions here that Harlequin is no longer with us, having been killed by a rampaging Solomon Grundy. Solomon Grundy don't like checkerboard patterns. Yeah, I just just. I, who uh, You can't have costumes like this. You can't. You just can't do it. Maybe this is what killed the Infinity Ink book. Maybe Vin, Vince finally said,
1: I'm not doing it. I quit. And they said, you know what? The book's not worth doing anymore. Yeah.
2: It's like Donald Pleasants in The Great Escape. We went blind from forging a thousand Nazi documents. This person would just go nuts having to inc- This is actually worse on the anchor than it is the penciler. That's true. The, the penciler can be kind of loose and just going to put some X's with the butt. Bo- but the anchor has to do this perfectly. And I would just be like, get the F and F out of here. I am not drawing this stupid character.
1: (laughs) I like your language. It's funny. Now, she is the granddaughter of Dan Richards, the original Manhunter, who was a superhero, but then got caught up in the whole Millennium thing. And she was part of the Millennium crossover as well, where she wanted to work with the Millennium, uh, the Manhunters, you know, the robot Manhunters.
2: And check this out. Here's a badge of... What's that? She, she, you were about to say. I'm sorry. I don't want to jump in. What? What? Her her what, romantic history. Her her badge of honor. What's her badge of honor? <laughs> she dated Northwind. And Obsidian. She's well, Obsidian's kind of cool. I like Not really. No. She's oh. what you would call a mort bag.
0: <laughs> Ooh. Oh, cool.
2: So, sorry. <laughs> Wow, that was pretty harsh. Yeah, <laughs> I, didn't, I, I didn't know how bad that was going to sound until I said it. Yeah, oh geez, I <laughs> actually I mean, like Obsidian. I I don't I don't put up Obsidian in that same group as Northwind. I'm sorry. Well, okay, don't. well first of all, Obsidian has had
1: a horrible uh, you know career as far as keeping it together. How many times has he gone to the dark side? You know, oh,
2: wait, we can't
1: count- go by that. Countless number of times. Green
2: Lantern destroyed he, an entire city.
1: The the one time he ever made it to the big leagues, it was the cra- one of the crappiest eras of Justice League um then he comes out of the closet so that means his relationship with her was you know probably not very deep and it's just you know all the way we around I don't know
2: some people's, he may have been finding sexual his sexual identity point. is a continuum shag it, it could
1: doesn't be, mean could that. be i just I, this girl she reminds me a little bit of the joker's daughter um not the current one but Dula, the
2: dual Dent, yeah. yeah it's,
1: it's a like, little bit of that a little bit of like thank goodness no one talks about her anymore kind of thing <laughs>
2: Yeah. Actually, her costume even looks a little bit like Dula Dent's costume. It does. It's got the ruffles on the feet. It's impossible yeah. to draw. It's. I insane. wonder if that was a bit of a.
1: Didn't Dula carry a little mandolin like that, too?
2: I don't remember. Somebody help me out here. Tell me if this Harlequin character is a nod to Dula Clearly, Dent. Clearly, the hosts of the Dula Dent podcast have to chime in and let us know. That's right.
1: Dula's yep. On. So, all right, for more on her, check out the Tales of the JSA podcast. And uh, that will do it, folks. Another yep. issue. Well, I guess we should do the back cover.
2: Yeah, there's the back cover going through where the characters appear. Again, this this series, this issue in particular, and this series in general is definitely more about promoting current characters. Uh, not as bad as say the. Um Loose edition will be, but oh but my is,
0: gosh. Well,
2: this is, I'm just saying, but this one is just more focused on, you know, current books and current titles, and it gets into, you know, Amazing Man, Doctor Occult will show up in Young All Stars. It, it has covers from Manhunter, Green Arrow, Young All Stars, Checkmate, Power of the Atom, and The Doom Patrol That Checkmate cover is great, by the way. is it? yeah, oh It's gosh. a really super cover.
0: Checkmate now. Yeah. Uh, uh,
2: and it, you know, goes to all the Firestorm and Green Arrow, we were in their own books. Uh, and I love this gag. It says the Justice League. This is one of the rare times where the two of the two of the little info boxes are continued. Yeah, because it says the Justice League International can't seem to get rid of Nort. Pause. But they're thrilled to death with Green Flame. <laughs> so clearly written by Mark Wade. <laughs> hey,
1: who isn't thrilled by fire or uh, by Green know. Flame?
2: I am. And all right, so that's the end of it. That's, we're, we're one more book down to the end of Who's Who. Who can believe it?
1: Unbelievable. So, all right, folks. Well, I think we're going to take a quick break. Is that fair mm-hmm. to say?
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And we will come back on the other side, and we will get into your listener feedback.
2: Who here likes comic books? <laughs> Who likes superheroes? WHO LIKES SUPERHERO COMIC BOOKS? FROM THE NINETIES! That's what I thought. Hey there, I'm Nathaniel Wayne from the Council of Geeks. And though I've always loved superheroes, the only time I was buying monthly issues was during the much maligned 1990s. I've decided to go through my personal collection, issue by issue, and in my own little way, Try to answer the question, were 90s comics really that bad? Chances are the answer will be yes, but I think these books deserve another chance, and they're going to get it on 90s Comics Retrial, part of the Council of Geeks podcast, available on iTunes and at dot scomicsretrialwordpresscom Warlord World. A
1: fan podcast devoted to the comic creations of Mike Grell, including Warlord, John Sable, Star Slayer, Shaman's Tears, and Green Arrow. I'm Darren.
0: And I'm Ruth. Join us as we discuss the stories, characters, and art in the many excellent comics from writer and artist Mike Grell.
1: Warlord Worlds is available at podbean.com and on iTunes and Stitcher.
0: Find us at warlordworlds.com.
1: And we're back, and we have taken feedback from this other show that used to be published a long time ago called Who's Who Update 87 number five podcast. I don't know. I don't know the guys that ran it, but we, we stole their show and we're going to do the feedback from that episode of their show. First thing I want to mention is on iTunes, the fire and water podcast has gotten, we have reached a hundred reviews. Yes. Finally, I've been begging. I want to reach a hundred. You guys are the best. And here's the even better news. Now that we're launching all the shows on various networks uh, on, on their own feeds, you can leave new reviews. <laughs> That's right. We're going <laughs> to so, ask
2: you for reviews all over again. We
1: are going to ask you for new reviews. So please, uh, when the Who's Who show has its own feed, which hopefully will be uh, in the next week or two, please go out there and give us a new review. Um, we kind of like the five-star ones, I'm just saying. Anyway, want to read a couple of the iTunes reviews we got. I got one from Seiya Masenko, uh, and, and they wrote, If you've never listened before to... <laughs> Can't even say it. If you've never listened before, this is a show about a dude who loves to talk, and another dude who sometimes enjoys talking, and they sometimes talk to other people who either love or somewhat enjoy talking. Usually about comics, sometimes not. I can't believe they had all this to say about you, Rob, about loving to talk.
0: It's
2: crushing. I love you, Mister or Mrs. Misenko. (laughs) You're very funny. Uh, we got another review from uh, Nathaniel Wayne, we're assuming, because it's from Council of Geeks, uh, who was just on a recent episode of the Film and Water podcast, by the way. Uh, he says, the thing you learn quickly about great podcasters is that they can make you excited to hear about things you wouldn't normally grab your interest. I've never much cared for Aquaman, and I knew virtually nothing about Firestorm started listening to this podcast. But Rob and Shag have such great chemistry and obvious love for what they talk about that I don't even really need to know much about these characters to have a great time listening to them. Thank you, Nathaniel. That's great.
1: Very nice. Nathaniel's uh, rapidly becoming my online nemesis, by the way. Uh, We also got a nice review from Brian Kegley, but I'm going to skip his review and jump right to our emails because he also sent us an email. So I was going to read from that. Brian wrote in saying, I just wanted to write in and let you guys know how much I enjoy the show, especially your your Who's Who episodes, which I'm proud to say have led me to get myself a complete set of Who's Who and the updates this Christmas. Over the past couple weeks, I've been re-listening to each episode and going along with it with my copies. I wanted to let you guys know my own origin with Who's Who. His origin is our podcast, Rob. Can you believe that? (laughs) He says he's 25 years old and he just started reading comics about a year and a half ago and have got a lot to catch up on. Until hearing about Who's Who on the podcast, he had no idea it existed. And he's so glad he's found it because he loves it. Because I love being able to look through so many characters and read their backgrounds. I know none of it is in continuity anymore, but it doesn't matter to me. Whoa! That's fantastic. A 25-year-old guy... New to comics, in love with Who's Who. I tell you what, folks, it just shows that this is timeless stuff. And when the entries are done right, you can get the love and the joy out of them, even if you haven't read the comics. So, Brian, so welcome to the uh, the, the nuclear sub community, and
2: I'm so glad you're enjoying the show. You know, there are a lot of people calling us heroes. I don't want to use that word, but there are other people using those words, and it's. Appreciated. <laughs> Nicholas Prom from the Comics Reflections podcast, which is. Nicholas is probably the closest a lot of us nerds are ever going to get to a prom. Uh, it says, Dear Robin Shag, just wanted to drop you guys a quick line. I've recently stated, started listening to the Fire and Water podcast, and I'm already a huge fan, especially of Who's Who. Just finished Volume 9 today. You guys are great. Ride the wave, fan the flave, and keep up the terrific work. Thank you, Nicholas. Wonderful. Heard from Kija
1: Sneed. Uh, we were talking about the Protector last episode, uh, the guy who was the Robin stand in in those Nabisco comics. <laughs> or maybe that was two episodes ago. Either way. They wrote, in saying, uh, they wrote in saying, regarding The Protector, reading that book in my class which is what's, was what sparked my interest in the new Teen Titans, especially Raven. I absolutely loved her costume, uh, what with that long billowing cloak and face obscuring hood. How cool is that? So the comics they gave out in schools actually inspired this person to become a comic book fan. I think that's fantastic. That's really cool. Uh, heard from Little Russell Burbage, who's from the Legion of Superbloggers and uh, the Friends of Justice blog. And if you would stop highlighting the document, I might
2: actually be able to read what he I wrote. I just Bob. realized that I want to read this portion because it's involving Strike Force Cobra. <laughs> and, I, and I want to read all the Strikeforce fight. Cobra comments, so I screwed this one up. Anyway, Little Russell Burber says, Let me be the first to correct you, Shag. Planet, planet Master was a real character before Strikeforce Cobra. He appeared in Detective Comics 296, which I happen to know because I have it. There is an Aquaman backup feature in the same issue, and I picked it up about 20 years ago. I don't know what plant you were mastering to think this was somebody else. <laughs> uh that was all the fault
1: of the cosmic teams website i think is where i was reading about it and they talked about how planet master was based on Planet master i sure as heck didn't know who any of these characters were bro so and uh, i i rob and i were talking over each other just want to make sure you know little russell burbage again from the legion of super bloggers he is our uh he's our fearless leader over there by the way and the friends of justice blog and he's also from the planet rimbor little known fact so <laughs> Uh, heard from our buddy Ange, who's also a member of the Legion of Superbloggers, and he has his own blog, Comic Box Commentary, which is all about Supergirl. I mean, if you want to read a Supergirl blog, this is the guy right here. Uh, fantastic guy, too. Very nice. Anyway, on the cover of last issue, he says, I think this is a disaster. I think the older woman with the Watchman is Janie, which is Dr. Manhattan's first wife. The dark hair and the blue dress was my tip-off, uh, which, by the way, which is, which is what I was thinking. Yeah, I, I got that wrong. I got that yeah. one wrong. I really like that's another soundbite I like to have Rob you saying that but anyway it says but the Reaper looks like his neck has been snapped and I don't know if we commented on that last time but the Reaper drawing always bothered me um, this is Shag now the neck really did bother me on the Reaper and jumping a little bit ahead uh, Siscoid actually came in and commented he says Reaper's head is askew because he's being affected by the Twister's power right which makes perfect sense when you see it like oh of course okay going back to Ange's comments. It says, Starfinger, the best part of the character are his comely, uh, super-powered henchwomen, Starlight and Starbright, and they aren't mentioned at all. Paul Levitz really wanted Starfinger to be a big villain, but he just never made it. And Ange also sent us a picture of uh, of Starlight and Starbright from the Who's Who in the Legion, and um,
2: boy, they're pretty hot, just saying. Wasn't Starbright that little girl toy line? That was Star Rainbow, Rainbow, Rainbow Bright. Bright. Rainbow Bright, I'm sorry. Anyway, uh, regarding Strikeforce Cobra... This team is so ludicrous. Even Cobra in the surprint is bug-eyed, looking like he is saying, "What the hell is going on here? Did I fund this?"
1: <laughs> it's just like one of those line items when you're reading a, you know, the financial report for the year. You're like, "What did we spend
0: money on?" <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, Ange goes on to say The appendix was something of the final nail In the coffin for Supergirl fans Supergirl quote no longer exists In the DCU Dr. Zinzin and Johnny Double never fought Or teamed up with Supergirl respectively Matrix Prime may not exist in the DCU Reactron fought Power Girl Not Supergirl in the DCU Yep, Kara was scrubbed clean From the DCU and who's who made sure we knew it (laughs) Mm Hmm. So sad So sad But hey she's back now man, she's got her own TV show Then we heard from our buddy Siskoid, who runs Siskoid's blog at Geekery. He's also a member of the Legion Superbloggers. He also hosts several podcasts, the Lonely Hearts Romance podcast, the Invasion podcast, First Strike, and now he's he's launching the Ohotmoo or Not podcast, and he's part of the Fire and Water podcast network. Yay! I don't think he sleeps. Anyway, he went on to say, uh, Suicide Squad's one of the best comics of this era and all eras. That's all I wanted to say. Um, which is not really true, because he goes on to say a lot more. But uh, I think that's what he wants to say on Suicide Squad. He talks about Twister. He says, she was used in Ostringer's last Suicide Squad story from a few years back. Raise the flag. Uh, Gasp, and Gasp and Windfall 2. And he says, uh, was this, talking about last issue, was this an Ostringer
2: shopping list issue? Uh, and then he says he won't spoil whether they live or die. Hm. Regarding Vanguard, he says, so you decided not to really say anything about them. While I, don't, while I won't blame you, I still think we should hold Wolfman accountable for basically using a Titan's annual as a pilot to a series about cosmic aliens that may have well been worse than the Omega Men. And then nothing came of it. Maybe it was his killing off of the coolest, ca- coolest looking member. I
1: don't know. <laughs> I think Vanguard speaks off on its own. You don't even have to really explain it. Uh, and then Zemirr? Uh, these are the aliens from the, uh, the last issue. He goes, Yes, his people were involved in the invasion. I've got something in the works with podcasting partner Boss relevant to this, uh, but I've already said too much. Well, by now, the first issue of the Invasion First Strike podcast is out, and I was listening to it today. It's quite entertaining. We're from our buddy Michael Chiroscuro, who runs the non existent uh, Batman and the Outsiders blog. He says, The Reaper, loved this guy, loved year two back in the day. I reread it several years ago and wasn't nearly as in love with it, but I still enjoyed it thoroughly. It's pretty ludicrous in parts, but if you go with it, then it's a blast. I even enjoyed the follow-up from years later, Full Circle, which reunited Mark Barr and Alan Davis. I had completely forgotten about that Full Circle book, by the way. Uh, he says, I too was bummed out when Davis dropped out after the first issue, Rem- um... I remember finding the McFarlane art interesting, but a letdown following Davis, even though this is from a period of time where I actually liked Todd's art a bit, but that didn't last too long. And he says, in Reaper's costume or armor, is, uh, the design is fantastic. I always loved it when Davis drew him. And I want to read this one specifically, because he's one of the few people who actually said some nice things about uh, Year 2. And then he goes in to not say some nice things. But a lot of people really just bashed on Year 2, and I, I thought I enjoyed it when I read it. Now I haven't read it since it first came out.
2: But, um, yeah, all right, there you go. Uh, regarding Strike Force Cobra, I sort of remember these guys, even though I didn't continue reading Outsiders for long after Batman left the book. It's possible I only remember them from this issue of Who's Who. I love Cobra, especially when drawn by Alan Davis and Jim Aparo a close second, but this team looks convoluted and silly, even for Bars, Bato, Outsiders repertoire. <laughs> then going on to Wild Dog. He says, I only remember Wild Dog
1: ads in this issue of Who's Who. He says, I doubt it's the finest work from Max Allen Collins or Terry Beatty. Funny coincidence... I just read Seduction of the Innocent, a hard case crime novel from Collins with chapter illustrations from Beatty. It's a fun book, a fictionalized, a fictionalized account of the Frederick Wortham anti-comics crusade era from the 1950s, and imagines what would have happened uh, if you add murder to the story. It's great noir, mystery pulp book with loads of standing characters for classic comic ca- creators and publishers. I highly recommend it to all y'all comic fans. And Then he says, and y'all will dig this, we dressed. Uh, he has a set of twins, by the way. We were talking about the other day, uh, last episode. Because we dressed the twins as the Wonder Twins for Halloween this year with homemade costumes, and visited our local comic shop. The staff loved the costumes, so we entered the kids in a Halloween uh, costume contest, and they won a prize—a gift card. So Daddy got to use the prize for himself. <laughs> Very nice. We heard from our buddy Jeff R, who does our, our om- gr- Grievous emissions. He says the emissions this time for our last episode was Zastrow. Should have gotten an entry. Uh, that's a good one. So he's an honorable mention. His so second and third honorable mentions go to the Vigilantes 3 and 4. Mm, that might be a bit of a stretch, but okay. And his top prize goes to Shadow from the Green Arrow book. He goes, also, I'm going to call serious shenanigans on filing Dr. Savannah under S. Dude didn't <laughs> spend three years at evil medical school for nothing, guys. <laughs> heard from our buddy Jeff Nettleton, uh, who was recently on an episode of Secret Origins. He says, for Rip Hunter, my favorite storyline is the eight issues Time Masters, where he fights a conspiracy organized by Vandal Savage. This was a cool one, with one of the early uses of the Illuminati in comics, before everything became conspiracies. Um, I just want to say a quick comment, and I'm going to bury this here in the Who's Who, so I don't get in too much trouble, because I'm going to say something that would probably cause an uproar, but have you watched Legends, Legends of Tomorrow yet? I have not. I've watched two episodes, and... I'm not really enjoying it. Mm. Um, some of the acting is really, really bad. Specifically, the Rip Hunter. Now, the actor, I like the actor. He was in Doctor Who. He was a regular. He was great on Doctor Who. But in this role, I mean, like, I can't not see him acting. It's so bad. Um, Even the guy playing Jackson, the the new Firestorm part, Mm -mm. his acting's kind of kind of wooden too. Like I even my family's like my my daughter's like daddy do we have to watch this? <laughs> yeah, um, I'm. I mean, I'm hoping I'm gonna you know, now. Stein Victor Garber's genius, of course, and um, I'm blanking on the guy's name. But the guy who plays Captain Cold like steals every scene. He just chews the scenery. He's so yeah, the guy so from the Prison time. Break. Yeah, he's yeah. so good. He's fantastic. But it's it's um I don't know, man. I I just don't know. I I was worried that they may have spread themselves too thin. Uh, with so many shows, uh, the the executive producers, but uh, anyway, that's why I read punter comment for this episode, and I want to bury it here, so I didn't want to put it somewhere else where like all the people Firestorm fan hates the show. I don't want that out there. <laughs> anyway, now all you people are going to put it on social media. Thanks, dicks. Anyway, he goes on to say, Whoa. Uh, this is... <laughs> what?
2: Whoa.
1: Yeah, I know. Uh, back to Jeff Nuddleton. He says uh, I didn't care much for Rocket Red Brigade until Dmitri Pushkin came along for the JLI. Ho- hokey smokes! I love that character. Speaking of JLI, I can't wait for the new podcast. I'll have some milk and Oreos waiting for the debut. Well, thank you, Jeff. That would be the
2: Bo- uh, Justice League International Blah Ha podcast coming in March for the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Oh, first time I'm hearing about it. Yeah. Uh, he says, I'm with Rob on the Watchmen movie. It has nothing to do with the ending. It's just that it misses the entire subtext. It's the glossiest sheen of Gibbon's imagery, but it isn't Moore's voice. That's abs- I have other problems with it, but that's also true.
1: That's interesting, uh, Jeff. It's an interesting opinion. It's wrong, but it's interesting. Uh, then he goes on to say, A pox on shag! Helena, Helena Wayne was such a superior character to Helena Bertinelli. You have someone who was, had a, was a legacy of both a master crime fighter and a queen of crime. She had some real depth that Helena Bertinelli never achieved for me, and I thought the original revised Huntress series was decent. For me, It's she is the greatest loss of the crisis. Now, Jeff, I'm going to put this to you. Uh, was Huntress pre-crisis really that great of a character on the page, or is she a great character in concept? I'll give you that the, the daughter of Catwoman and Batman conceptually does make for a great character. And maybe her backups in Wonder Woman were just absolutely amazing. I've heard they're decent, but not I don't know if they're even amazing, because I feel like Helena Bertinelli was developed. Now, you, you weren't going to get that out of Huntress. You had to get it out of Robin. You had to get it out of the Batman books. You had to get it out of all the different places she appeared over the years, which I did follow quite a bit of it. I felt like she was a very developed character. And I, I really liked the whole side of having an organized crime family, her being a school teacher, her being very uh, religious. All these elements um, and making some bad choices with men. I, I thought she was a cool character. And that's my take on it. I prefer the post-crisis version. Performer buddy Jose Rivera, he says, uh, "My favorite entry is Reaper because out of all of the would-be dark reflection of Batman's, this is my favorite. I actually am a fan of Year Two, but not a fan of McFarlane's art when he took over. His style just didn't fit the story. The Reaper had interesting weapons and an interesting mystery, and even had a successful sequel in Full Circle that involved the Chill family." Hell, if it wasn't for the Reaper, I don't think we would have had the Phantasm character in the animated movie Batman Mask of the Phantasm, even though it plays out almost in reverse of year two. That's a fair point. Uh, Mask of the Phantasm is based quite a bit on Reaper. That is a very fair statement, I think.
2: Yeah, I'd say so. And that, that was terrific, that movie. So yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Then we heard from Nathaniel Wayne again, uh, Council of Geeks, also from 90s Comics Retrial, which is a fun series. You should give that a try if you haven't listened. It's a podcast, so you should give it a listen. He goes, okay, I need to ask you guys, what is the origin of the term Mort that you guys use to designate a useless character? Rob?
2: Well, we explained in uh, in an email that that's from Wizard. Uh, back when Wizard was a thing, thank God it isn't anymore, but it was a thing. And they would pick a character, specifically a villain, and just highlight him as, call him the Mort of the Month. And it was just some incredible loser of a villain that you just can't believe you know, and it was a bit of kind of making fun of Silver Age stuff because, you know, everything's cool now. It's the 90s and we got <laughs> Dark Claw and Razor Shrike and that's cool stuff, not uh, Paste Pot Pete. He's lame. Um, but they did find some really funny guys and that, that name just stuck over time. So now it's just – you just use Mort for – plus it's got – you know, it's part of the word, you know, like mortuary and mort – you know, it has that kind of – mort is is death in Italian. So it, it just it has that just kind of like negative connotation.:
1: interesting. I, I didn't know that's the origin of it. I, I've just known that word as being a loser
2: as long as I can remember. There you go. So, I must, I must have picked it up from Wizard at some point. Hmm. Right. Uh, Anthony Durso, aka The Toy Room, writes in about Strike Force Cobra. Speaking of Mike W. Barr, as much as I usually love his th- themed supervillain groups, and there are so many, as well as Silver <laughs> Age sci fi gimmicky Batman villains, I have to draw the line on this one. In fact, I think by this point, I had already dropped Battle. Well, I think it was close to being canceled by that
1: point anyway, because when I did my On the Shelf for this month, there was no Battle book hmm. anymore. Or, or even. T H the Outsiders book, so uh, it says Watchmen. It's kind of weird seeing these characters here in Who's Who, and yet nowhere in Who's Who is there a reference to the, it's contemporary, The Dark Knight Returns. Not even a Carrie Kelly Robin four at that uh, at that time entry. That's a very interesting point. I hadn't thought about that. That if they're going to include Watchmen, which clearly doesn't take place in the DC universe, then something equally as popular, Dark Knight Returns, they should have included her.
2: Yeah, I surmise that that was probably because I I think they considered it, I I used the word Elseworlds, of course this was before they did Elseworlds, but I think they looked at it as like, we don't do alternate timeline versions of our characters. Watchmen was a different thing altogether, but Hmm. that said, uh, I think getting Carrie Kelly a listing would have been appropriate.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And Anthony
1: then suggested there should be one for uh, Kristen Wells, Superwoman as well.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, Earth 2 Chris from Supermates, Power Records, and our own uh, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network writes in, of course, again, Strike Force Cobra. Planet Master, with an E, was an old Batman villain. Check out this cover and see. And he even sent us the link to the cover. Really just piling on. Again, I tried to do my research. I'm sorry that
1: in 30 episodes of this show I dropped the ball on one character. Terribly sorry. Just, Just flame me alive, people, would you? Yep. Uh, he goes on to say, "Windfall, a very memorable entry due to the, only to the art." I do have one of those tiny metal RPG figures from Mayfair Game Series, though. I don't remember that they did a Windfall metal character. I, I had the box set of the Justice League characters and the box set of the New Teen Titans characters, and I knew there were some more, but I didn't realize they'd done Windfall. I wonder if that's a Masters of Disaster kit or a, a Batman: and The Outsiders kit. Hm. <laughs> Not kit, but set of, of metal figs. Right. Hm. Interesting. I uh, heard from Martin Gray who's, uh, who does the Too Dangerous for a Girl blog and was on a recent episode of the Secret Origins podcast. He says um, about Rip Hunter. He says, why does the entry not mention that Rip Hunter's from East London? Oh, because they just made it up for the telly box. I don't know. So Again, another dig at the uh, Legends of Tomorrow TV series.
2: He gives me about the Reaper being there. You know, here's predating Batman. Thank you, Martin. But, uh, <laughs> Talk about Strike Force Cobra, were just one more rubbish outside his group, but they did lead to that wonderful Bunt Pack story from Grant and Braith <laughs> Okay. Uh, Wolfgang Hart said,
1: something that may be of interest, this is the end of Robert Greenberger's time as editor of Who's Who material. His first issue as editor was volume 14 of the original series, the one with the four Luthers. And he says, speaking of Jason Todd, I know that during Death in the Family, comic readers were allowed to vote on whether Jason Todd would live or die. I wondered whether either of you had voted, and if you did, what were your choices? Um, My answer is, I actually couldn't find a copy of the comic uh, in time, so I did not vote. I probably would have voted to kill him at that time because was, I was part of the group think on hating Jason Todd. Rob, what about you?
2: I did. I voted to whack him. <laughs>
1: I did. Rob killed Jason Todd. No. There we go. Killer! Uh, heard from Joe X. He says, uh, I miss the biomechanical genius Kilowog, who has lost uh, to the generic team mechanic and drill sergeant Kilowog. Yeah, well... There's a place you can find out more about that character. Just
0: saying.
1: Uh, it, says, it says, Vanguard, like hybrid, is Marv trying to recapture the Omega Men lightning and failing miserably. Someone later on came back and said, basically, it may, it may have even been you, I don't know, that quoted that line basically saying, Vanguard, like hybrid, is Marv trying to recapture the Omega Men lightning. That has never been put together in a sentence. <laughs> And, and the fact that Omega Man ever had a lightning effect, I, I question that strongly. So, Omega, okay. sorry.
2: Omega Man was cool for a while.
1: Sorry there, Jonas. Uh,
2: he also uh, sends us the link to the video for the song The Warrior, which ended the show. He says, you know, The Warrior just isn't 80s enough without the video. And he sends the link on YouTube, which is where I got the audio from. That, I love – not only is that just a really great pop song, it, it looked like a comic book. Because it has people in costumes doing crazy stuff. And it just looked like a superhero thing, which is part of the reason I gravitated the video so much. And the song is just so memorable. So I thought it was just too good to end, to not to end the show with it.
1: How did that end up on there? I mean, was there a W? We,
2: I sing it. I sing it during the show. Did you the, really? <laughs> during the, during the, thank you for listening. During the feedback, uh, Gutierrez says he wants more of me singing. So yeah, I sang yeah. a few bars of The Worry, Shooting at the Walls of Heartache. Bang, bang. Oh, so. I'm supposed to block that out. Yep, yep. Uh Mark Baker Wright from BlackRock's Toy Box, tough to say, writes in, Ahem. Okay, Rob, I do I take every opportunity to proclaim how much I hate Aquaman? You don't have to like Transformers, but neither do you have to remind me how much you hate them all the time. <laughs>
1: Mark's a huge 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 Transformers fan.
2: I am going to, I'm sorry, go ahead. I don't you No, that's finish. you go ahead. Okay. I Mark is exactly right and later on in the comments I actually offered to watch or read any Transformers that someone offers. Uh Chris suggested the animated movie, Mark suggested uh, issue 9 of the comic book. Um I have to say this 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 strangest thing happened today. I got the newest issue of back issue in the mail. It's like, mm-hmm. I think it's like 88. It's their giant size uh, giant size Marvel Comics issue. Oh, The king size comics. King size yeah. comics, right? Okay. Now, I, op- I got that issue in the mail, and I normally only get copies that I have an article in. So I'm like, well, I didn't write anything for this. Why, why am I well, – why did I get this? And I happen to see that I'm listed in the special thanks. And I'm like, why am I listed in the special thanks? I don't think I contributed to any of these articles. There's an article in there about Marvel Digests, and it mentions the Transformers Digests. And like the guy who wrote it, Mark Arnold, I don't know where he got this quote. I don't remember ever giving it to him, completely out of nowhere in mentioning the Transformers Digest. It just says, oh, and as Rob Kelly likes to say about the Transformers, I compare them to Bon Jovi. I didn't like them when they were popular. I didn't like them when they were unpopular. I don't like them now that they're popular again. And, like, that's the whole
1: quote. And I'll never – that sounds like something you would have said but on no, one of our it, shows. It is
2: something I've said, but it's like, like, it's just dropped into the article with no, like, attribution. <laughs> like, 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 if you don't know who I am, nobody does it. Who is Rob Cat? Like, what does that mean? Like, and so now it's like, I'm now singled out for hating the Transformers. So I feel even worse that I ever said that because it's just like, I couldn't believe it. I'm like completely flummoxed as to why I'm in this article. It's just, it's just so strange. It's very, very, very weird. Watch
1: the animated movie. It's it's got your buddy Orson Welles uh, in it. I know it does. It's got Leonard Nimoy. Yes. Um. It's got some of the greatest lines. You know, with Optimus Prime. One will stand. One will fall. Right. right. Hey, this. It's a good movie. You I mean, got
0: I, the touch.
1: You better like that song. You got yeah, the power. If you don't Like that song. You're not gonna make it through the movie. <laughs> I
2: love I love Boogie Nights. So I love that song.
1: So he, he wrote in talking about suggesting, Cause if I were if you were Shag, I'd just point you to issue number nine of the Marvel Comics to be done with it. And he goes, I'll leave the details to your imagination oh, because the I new main character's okay. costume sure doesn't. Yes, he's talking about the character Circuit Breaker, and Mark, you'll be happy to know I own issues one through five of Transform- Marvel Transformers and issue nine. Is like <laughs> Guess why I must have bought it as a kid. Um, now, I, now, I would point you to something like the Dreamwave Transformers comic books. They're, they're so good, and the art's just gorgeous. Yeah, I, but I'll give
2: the movie a chance.
1: Okay, awesome. So I'm going to take a quick side trip here. And uh, by the way, I promised Rob we'd be done by a certain deadline, and we are going to blow that deadline I told horribly.
2: him there's no chance we're going to be All
1: right, because i got to talk about Clue the VCR board game. <laughs> I put, a, I put a call out to you guys last time and said, if anybody ever played the Clue VCR board game, please let me know. So I did get some comments here. Uh, Zoom Yukonori said he's actually played the Clue VCR game featuring the butler named did it? It's so great. Because he didn't <laughs> own the game. He only played it twice at a party. And your calls. it was pretty clever how they imagined, managed how to get an interactive game with a non-interactive media. It's so good. You can actually you can watch most of the stuff on YouTube now. Uh, Mark, Wright, Mark Baker Wright wrote in to say, uh, I, or more properly my parents, used to own the VCR Clue game, but I may have played it once or twice, on, and, and that but it was decades ago. And he also mentions the butler did it. <laughs> uh, Tom Painter-Reese said he remembers the game as well. He asked me about this uh, documentary I mentioned. You can find it on YouTube, guys. It's called Who Did It? The Clue VCR Game. I love this game so much. Oh,
2: so. no, Michael Moore, you've done it again.
1: <laughs> All right. You used that joke last month. So if anyone, uh, <laughs> anyone else remembers...
2: It's uh, <laughs> 1.30 in the morning. What do you want from me?
1: <laughs> if anyone else remembers clue Board Game, just let me know. So Zoom Yukinori writes in and comments about Robin. He goes, there were rumors going around that the, the 900 number during death of the family voting resulted in Jason Stodd death due to one caller that voted 100 times to let him die. One rumor had it that some college kid rigged his computer to constantly call the number. Another stipulated that a pharmacist in, o- in Omaha, Nebraska, who happened to be a diehard Di- Dick Grayson fan, called the number a hundred times by hand because she hated that snot-nosed punk pretender like poison. How very specific, an Omaha, Nebraska pharmacist. Hm. Uh, he says, I actually liked the Green Lantern and Paul Manning stories, maybe more for the concept of Green Lantern having another secret identity. It is too bad that most of those did not really deal with the concept, instead focusing on the threat of the issue, which are not all that different from the other Green Lantern and Outer Space Adventures. Yeah, the Paul Manning stories just made no sense, is,
2: is Paul Manning the other Manning brother we've never heard of? There's Eli and Peyton? And well, he's the one in the 15th
1: Manning? century. He's, there just, okay. he's, he's okay. Uh, the descendant that Hal goes to the future and pretends to be. So. Okay, alright. <sighs> Spectre, revised. He goes, I like that Jim Aparo had drawn this entry, even though he had nothing to do with the regular series at the time. And now that I have a computer, I see that the Wrath of the Spectre reprint series came out about a few months after this Who's Who issue, so that may be the connection that brought Aparo in since he was creating new Spectre covers for the reprint series at roughly the same time. I had to read that comment simply to remind the world that the Wrath of the Spectre reprint series is out there. Mm-hmm. Go find them. They're gorgeous. They're in that like, new format, beautiful paper, great coloring, it's the Jim Aparo stuff from the '70s, but printed in the '80s. Oh, it's gorgeous! So beautiful.
2: Uh, regarding Trek Force Cobra, I also pointed out that Planet Master is really Planet Planet Master Two, and I admire your research into the entry Shag. <laughs> <sighs> is he being sarcastic or not? There, I can't really tell. I think
1: he's making fun of me. All right, uh, get in the line. Buddy.
2: Uh, Shag get, like- Shag's getting beaten like uh, Jason Todd did with the crowbar. Oh my god.
1: <laughs> he says I believe Planet Master lost his plutonium uh plutonian powers once Pluto was reclassified as a non-planet.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: nice. Uh Kyle Benning wrote in our, our buddy who's host of the King Size Comics Giant Size Fun Podcast and Legion of Super Bloggers member and check this out he's I couldn't pimp it during the show during the episode cuz there was nothing to pimp but he is starting a new podcast of his own called the Superman and Captain Marvel Power Hour. Great so, name. That'll be lots of fun. Uh, sort of contrasting Superman and, pa- and Captain Marvel. He says, I really dig Pablo Marcos's work on the horror genre comics and his work on Conan, but a huge color splash of superheroes definitely did not play to his strengths. I wanted to read that comment because somebody finally said something nice about Pablo Marcos. So, thank you, Kyle. Sign me up for the John Beatty fan club. I love his inks. He was a great inker for Byrne and Ordway on their post-crisis Superman run. This era of DC is marked by a lot of great artists with nice streamlined detailed, and realistic art style, like Byrne Ordway, and Jorgens, and Beatty was a perfect inker for all of them. He's right up there with Terry Austin for the best inkers for Byrne in my book. And then he goes on to say, I really dig the Rocket Red and Royal Flush gang pages. Definitely two of the best entries in the issue. With regard to Terry Beatty and Wild Dog, Terry's from the Midwest and a pretty cool dude. I had the pleasure of meeting him at a few of the local conventions, and I had him sign all the issues of Action Comics Weekly that featured Wild Dog. When he was signing my copy of Action Comics number 638, which had a Jack Kirby Etrigan cover, he smiled and told me what a career highlight this issue was for him. He grew up, he grew up as a huge Kirby fan and said it was so surreal to have a comic published featuring his artwork on a character he co-created underneath the cover by the king himself. That's cool. That's a sweet story.
0: I mm-hmm.
1: heard from Darren Sutherland, host of, uh, or co-host with him and his wife, of Warlord Worlds and Trekker, Tra- Trekker Talk. It is very late, folks. Uh, he goes on to say, we will have fun covering, because, uh, oh, we were talking about Mike Grell and Ron Randall. And he said, we will have fun covering the various overlaps there on both of our shows. Again, being Warlord Worlds and Trekker Talk. We'll likely cover the Barren Earth backup series with art by Ron Randall from Warlord 63. Uh, 3 to 88 on Trekker Talk, while we cover the later Warlord issues drawn by Ron Randall on Warlord Worlds. That's nice. Good stuff. And I'm interested to hear to their discussions on Baron Earth because I read some of those.
2: All right. Uh, next up, oh, uh, he also mentioned, not next, I'm sorry, he also says, any excuse to hear Patty Smythe sing The Warrior is a good one. Nice way to end the episode. <laughs>
1: Uh, let's see. We heard from Diablo Frank from the Rolled Spine Podcast Network, which includes Marvel Super Heroes Podcast, Idlehead of Diablo, Underguides, DC Bloodlines, Power of the Atom of Wonder Woman, and more. He says, in theory, I like the idea of time-traveling adventures, uh, adventurers, but in practice, I always find them dull and their escapades meaningless, because there's always some other traveler coming along the corner to kill Hitler or save Lincoln. Oh, you teamed up with the Silent Knight to track down Vandal Savage? I kind of already know how that's going to turn out. I like the idea of Rip Hunter being active in the 50s and 60s during the period between the JSA and JLA, who had a built-in explanation for being available for stories in other times. As a contemporary dude who seems to be a self-appointed colonel cop, snooze. <laughs>
2: Uh, I'm with Rob in that uh, while I can see the purpose of the Red Rocket Brigade served in the 80s And I'm generally fascinated by international super people These interchangeable, faceless, go-bot-looking mothers do not cut it <laughs> Meanwhile, TC has a dearth of classic supervillain teams I like the poker theme, but the Royal Flush Gang seem like they fold every hand their tilt And generally collapse like a house of cards at the slightest breeze Please tell me Selak has been voiced by Rene Abergenois Because he's played Selak through his career, and it's a useful role that is so true. It even looks like Rene Auberjonois. I hope that, yeah, that's that's really perfect casting.
1: That's funny. You know, I want to say he did a voice in the Green Lantern First Flight movie. I mm-hmm. wonder if that was on him. You know, Frank was particularly negative, by the way, in the in his comments this time around. So he's uh, he's having a tough time, I think. He goes on to talk about Vibe. <clears throat> he said, Vibe, um, He Frank was slowly won over by his posthumous appearances of Vibe and in his reworking by Sterling Gates in the New 52. And he does promise me he will eventually go on to do a short run Vibe podcast. And he claims uh, that apparently DC Comics, the DC Nation cartoon stole an idea from him for the Vibe uh, short. Hm, interesting. And he says, windfall, because I don't know if you remember last time, I just went on and on about how I love that entry. He goes, not into that costume. I wonder if some editor had a problem with the cartooniness of this unknown John Bognadov and had a veteran inker like John Beatty lay on a heavy brush on him. John handled young heroes very well on power pack, so I figured the ambiguity here lay in the embellishment. Then he asked a fair question that I, I put out there to my uh, fans of Golden Age stuff, or at least of the Earth 2 fans. It says did the freedom fighters get ian carcooled or did they actually get old that's a fair question i don't remember the answer to that and uh, i
2: i do like the fact that ian carcooled is a verb now <laughs> Uh, he says i 've got a love the sinner, hate the sin mentality when it comes to the updates there 's still who 's who in a basic way, but the first volume attempted to be a comprehensive overview of fifty years of d c comics where a would take some hoary Marvel Golden Age character and have them drawn by a contemporary artist who would then be inked by Joe Rubinstein to keep the whole project uniform and palatable to modern readers. DC embraced idiosyncratic artists often personally associated with characters and concepts from a multiverse of companies and sensibilities. What I wanted from the updates was a mix of characters who were missed in Volume 1, necessary revisions of previous entries, and coverage of new characters. We only got two of the three, and not only did did unjust omissions stand until the age of internet wikis, but the emphasis of the other two was on modern creators fitting a house style and selling the next big thing as a DC focus-like advertorial. Instead of continuing uh, to be its own thing, Huzu tried to act more like Uhatmu, and the result was full more flat coverage of too many untested characters, unworthy of the attention, who all but represent a brief moment in publishing time. That mentality hurt Uhatmu as well, leading to the worst example of all these sorts of reference periodicals, the loose-leaf master edition, whose main contribution to the culture was lifeless turnaround-style guides of hideous 90s costumes. (laughs) I think that was all one sentence. (laughs)
1: <laughs> he might have had some monctuation there somewhere. I uh, heard from our buddy Philemon, who went on to say, I can't believe no one has said this yet, but Robin's posing the cover is a little payback for the Lady Blackhawk image a few issues ago. A little something for the ladies. <laughs> he might not have Zinda's um, assets, but no one can deny the, kid, the kid's got a pair of gams on him. <laughs> oh, gosh.
2: He's like 14.
1: Um then he mentions the Rocket Reds. He says, I really like the art in this entry. It goes to show that Joe Staten can do some nice
2: work when he doesn't have to draw faces. I love Joe Staten. Strike Force Cobra. I'm sure this will earn me jeers, but I love these guys. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> these guys don't have the inherent cool... These Listen to this sentence. These guys don't have the inherent coolness of Fourth of, of July. People's Heroes or any of the other team, theme teams bar designed specifically to go with, into battle against the Outsiders. The inherent coolness of the Force of July. you got to understand the history with Philemon, guys. We love Philemon. He's but great. He's, but he's
1: insane. He's not so much insane. It's just anything that makes sense, he usually takes the opposite position. Right. Which, unfortunately, he and I are on the same page with the Rocket Reds. So, I guess that means I'm on the wrong side of that argument. Uh, Bob he... didn't like that drawing either.
2: Right, but he goes on But I love the notion that someone remembered these kooky foes of Batman's bygone days I also love the idea that within the continuity of DC Comics There's not just one guy, but a whole slew of people saying things like Hey, you remember that guy Batman fought? No, not Joker No, I'm talking about Zebra Man He was the coolest I mean, come on A group of people getting together and forming a community Out of their love for the lesser characters of their world Seems somewhat familiar to me Ouch Ouch, that's a dig (laughs) That's a dig that's a dick. well-played Philemon. Dang.
1: Little bastard.
2: <laughs> I'm a shoveler. I shovel well.
1: By the way, uh, Philemon, go watch Batman the Brave and the Bold. Find the episode with Firestorm. I think it's called, like, The Case of Dr. Double X or something yes, like that. Yes, that
2: is. Yep, that's it.
1: And there's a bar fight in there with tons of these 1950s morts. Uh, like A racer head, you know, and I don't mean the band – you know, all these different, like, you know, goofy, goofy 1950s villains. Oh, yeah. Oh, that you'll show
2: just, was awful, all full of that stuff. Yep.
1: You'll just love it. You will yep. love it. So, anyway, he goes on to say, if there's anything I can say about this update of Who's Who is that it has finally broken down my resistance and left me no choice but to give Suicide Squad a try. I picked up two of the trades that have come out, and I'm planning to read them during the Christmas break. We'll file them on right in and let us know what you thought of Suicide Squad because it's a fantastic series. I hope you enjoyed it. Knowing you, you probably didn't, but, you know, still love to hear your opinion on it. Uh, we got a very nice, very flattering note from Luke Giaconetti from Earth Directive, uh, Earth's Destruction Directive Podcast and the Being Carter Hall Hawkman blog. Uh, he hasn't been able to download the show lately because he's having a problem with his MP3 player, but he just gave us uh, some very nice comments. We really appreciate that, Luke. And now I saying all this, I realize he's not going to hear this.
2: That's a shame. Hmm. That's a shame. Uh Stella from Batgirl to Oracle at Barbara Gordon Podcast uh, comments, uh, he says, I am right there with Rob when the sport high lie is mentioned and automatically associating him with Mad Men. I guess it serves Pete Campbell right. <laughs> I appreciate that, Stella, because I knew that story was way too long of a diversion. It wasn't funny to anybody who doesn't watch Mad Men. I don't even know if it was funny to people who do watch Mad Men, but I appreciate somebody uh, appreciated it. So thank you. She loves the Mad Men show,
1: so there you go. Yep. yep.
2: She goes, I laughed twice, only twice. Once when
1: Shag started singing Starfinger, and also when he said that if you put <laughs> the pages together, you <laughs> make the characters kiss. Starfinger. I, I sang that the other day. I get excited about that. <laughs> Heard from uh, Kevin King Thomas. He said, Shag. Now, now I don't know if you remember, last, we talked about the protector, and then we, last episode we were in the feedback, Kevin had sent us in the scan of a card he got from Nancy Reagan. <laughs> about the, remember he got... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not making this up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He got his protector issue in the mail. or um, It's not protector, but the uh, the new Teen Titans comic with the protector. He got the Keebler thing, or Nabisco, whatever the hell it was. He got it and had a <laughs> card from Nancy Reagan. Two very different companies. <laughs> well, one was involved, one wasn't. Anyway. One's and, East Coast, um, one's West Coast. Anyway, so Kevin uh, shared that Nancy Erickson card with us, and we were just speculating where the hell that came from. And he says, uh, regarding that card, it came with the, the Teen Titans drug special. They never distributed it at my school. So I must have seen an ad somewhere that told you where you could send away a his copy. I remember it coming in the mail in a manila envelope. That is so cool. Right? That's awesome. Comics in the mail is so fun. Well, and with a with a note from the first lady. <laughs> wow. Uh, then we got uh, some got some support from Task Force X podcast. We appreciate that. Thank you very much. And that that's uh, of course Aaron Head Moss, who is all all up in the internets with the headcast, the GI Joe, Real American Headcast, and Star Man. Star Star Man apparently, as Rob wants to call it Adventure <laughs> Hour. But it's Starman, Manhunter, Adventure Hour. Uh, heard from Gordon Gord Tolton. He he was talking about the cover with the uh with Rorschach on there. He goes, Herm Watchmen. Not impressed with this decadent universe with its drugs and sex and porn. Got bean juice on the cover. Human bean
2: juice. Herm. <laughs> wow. Uh I don't know about you, Shaq. I can't wait till we cover Gord Tolton and Who's Who in Star Trek. That's gonna be super yeah, exciting. It's one of my favorite uh, expanding universe games. <laughs> uh David Ace Gutierrez. Uh, regarding uh, he, he sent a thing uh, he, well, he was on a recent Film and Water I, I wasn't commenting on Film and Water You threw me off Shag with saying he was on a recent Film Just in Water Just saying where you could find it. Yes he was, yes, he, was on a, he was on a recent episode He was on the Man Who Fell to Earth episode of the Film and mm-hmm. Water podcast My former co-host on the Ultraverse podcast and There thank you me. go uh, He says Rob Kelly is the third least dangerous man I've ever faced <laughs> Great episode, <laughs> more Rob Benatar uh, Thank you David, hell is for children
1: Heard from Van Z, who's now the host of the All-Star Comics Review podcast. Uh, He was looking at the cover, and he says, Looks like this month will be low on the Babo meter, but uh, will still be cool. And Windfall was a little young, if I remember correctly. Twister might be the girl you pick up in a biker bar, though. Then we heard from Michel Fief, who's a comic book writer, uh, does some independent stuff and work for Marvel, including Copra, which, by the way, is available on Comicsology right now. In fact, I got an email the other day from Comicsology, and he was featured right in there. I thought that was pretty cool. Good for him. Now, he says, good episode, but it hurts my teeth at how wrong you are about the mighty Luke McDonald. Luke's Suicide Squad profile piece was great, and he had a lot to pack in. He was flashy when appropriate in books like Iron Man and Justice League Detroit, but he played it straight for Suicide Squad. His subtlety rings as stiff sometimes, but it fits the Suicide Squad tone. He's also his own best inker. Ah, see? He'll like the episode. Ah, Well, I think that you proved that out with the uh, Duchess entry this time, Michelle. Thanks for the feedback, buddy, and good luck with uh, the copra over at uh, Comixology we heard from my buddy Kichi Baker, who uh, you can find him on Twitter, but he's also running the Sports in Comics Twitter account, which is fun, and he says, I love that Shockwave was used in the latest Lois and Clark issue. You know, I don't own that issue. I want it. Like I, The Lois and Clark comic is, I, I picked up first issue and third issue, and I'm really enjoying that. The Dan Juergens book that's out right now, where it's Superman from the post-crisis universe and the New 52 universe, it's, it feels like a Superman comic to hmm. me. It's pretty cool. Then Michael Bailey... Uh, was doing some live tweeting, Michael Bailey from from Crisis to Crisis and Tales of the JSA and Views in the Long Box and 17 other podcasts. Uh, we had talked about Batman Year 2, and I'm pretty sure Rob had said Batman Year 2 was marred by the fact that Todd McFarlane did some of the art. And he wrote in, Batman Year 2 was marred by the fact that it was a lousy story. <laughs> there you go. Uh, then he goes, the reason you don't hear stuff... Uh... Oh, I was talking about how Jason Todd in the Who's Who entry sounded like a perfectly reasonable character. And there's no hint in that who's who entry at all about you know the way people talk about him nowadays with being a punk and you know being a troublemaker and on the edge and all this stuff. Because the reason you don't hear the stuff Jason Todd is known for is that uh, the fan groupthink has marred his reputation. And I think that's very true. That is very true. That's why Rob voted to kill him. Yeah.
2: <laughs> he also mentions, I will not make a, quote, throw a flag over her face and do it for the cause joke involving Twister. Oh, I think he just Whoa. did, Mike. I think he just did. Man, that is... Mike, you might want to wait before you tweet things out, dude. That was... (laughs) Wow.
1: So glad that's one of our final comments here. Um, Then over on the web, our thanks to some folks that pimped our podcast on their websites, including Martin Gray. Over on the uh, panels.net site, he did a, a... list of comic book podcasts. He promoted us. Thank you very much. Uh, Benton Gray, who we actually haven't heard from in a long... What are you laughing at? I like all the grays. I think we also got something from Linda Gray from Dallas. <laughs> okay. Yeah, probably true. But Benton Gray, who we actually haven't heard from in a long time, uh, he wrote up this really interesting post called Into the Bronze Age, where he's been reading a bunch of Bronze Age comics. That's over on his blog, bentongray.wordpress.com, and uh, you check that out. We also got pimped by Warlord Worlds on their website, and Pulp to Pixel Podcast on their website as well. Thank
0: you.
2: And, uh, okay, this is a list of people, that uh, we usually end it with, who shared the show on their social media timeline, either Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google+, Plus, Snapchat, Tinder, Grindr, whatever you want to do. Uh, this is the list. And we're going to split this up because uh, Shag's was complaining that I don't do my fair share, so here you go. Aaron Headboss, Alan Middleton, Alexander Adrock, Andy Lee, Ange, Batman Family Chronicles, Between the Pages, Bradley Knoll, Captain Adam, Fans, Facebook Page, Captain Marvel, Cash Flag. Chris Lay, Christopher Bearden, Chuck Rodriguez, Coffee and Comic Blog, Comic Reflections, Comics and Mud, Cyber Jager, Daniel Vieser, David Gutierrez, David Morgan, DC Comics Fans, DC in the 80s, DC Movies Podcast, DCCP Show, DCU Movie Page, Dmitry Aframov, Do Not Open Till Christmas, Dr. G Nerdologist, Dread, DS and RS, Eurydice Howell, Gareth Oliver, Greg A.,
1: it's Gregor Rougeau, our buddy. Yep. Then we get a whole series of Facebook pages that are kind of cleverly named I am number one Batman fan. I am number one Jason Todd, Red Hood fan. I am number one Robin fan. All Facebook pages. Uh, then Jacob Edwards, Jared West, J Slab425, <laughs> Keith G. Baker, Con L, Cord Industries, Kyleo71, Legion of Superbloggers. Well, oh, that's me. Uh, Legion of Superheroes, Lopfe? Lop- I guess that's how you say that? Luke Dob Walker, <laughs> Marco 8678, Martin Gray, Michael Bailey, Mike Peacock, Mr. Perturbed, uh, OX Da Megan Fox, I'm <laughs> um, activate, Patrick Healy, Pietro Blacksimoff, Pulp to Pixel Podcast, Richard Field, Robert Lewis, Sierra Siergo Surge, Cast Siskoid, Stella from Backworld Oracle, Sin, the 108th Sage, The Hammer Strikes. The Holy Hamel, Tony D, Trekker Talk, Van Z, Viznu Gana, Warlord Worlds, and Willie Yarbrough. Also, special thanks to Bradley Null, who shared quite a few of our posts over our Instagram using our hashtag. Thank you. And uh, we also found out that his dog Shadow likes to read along with him. So, uh, just a reminder, folks, as you're posting on social medias, again, the hashtag has changed. It's now FW Podcasts with an S at the end because we're a network. And actually, you know, we should mention, we have a Twitter account now uh, that you can follow as well. Besides Firestorm Fan and Aquaman Shrine. we actually have a Fire and Water Podcast Network Twitter account, which is FW Podcasts with an S on the end. Uh, And we have a Facebook page, Fire and Water Podcast Network Facebook page. We should be talking about these things. What's wrong with you, Rob? I don't know. Okay. um, And I have made a decision. Zoom Yukinori is a selfish, selfish man. He has so many Yellow Dot Awards. His mantle is full of them. And yet he keeps insisting on deserving more of them. So I've decided no more for you. I've gone all soup Nazi on you. Sorry, Zoom. No more Yellow Dot Awards for you. Instead, going forward, I now present Zoom has his own segment on the Who's Who podcast show from now on, uh, at least assuming he's published something that month, called Zoom's Who. Who? Zoom Yukonori's Addendum to the Definitive Directory of the DC Universe. And we have two entries to cover this time out, folks. Uh, the first one is a Firestorm-specific character from the Justice League named the Satin Satan, who uh, who is a character who appeared in, in Justice League of America number 179, Firestorm's first entrance into the Justice League. And uh, she is a red-dressed devil-sortish character. Um, and I, by devil, I just mean she's... Uh, Seductress. Man, she is so hot. And uh, Zoom actually wrote, I suppose the last line of her powers and abilities should read, She is also hot. So uh, we'll put this out on the Tumblr, but it, is, it looks exactly like a Who's Who entry should. It is her in this sexy red uh, silk dress. She's got the curves going on. She's got the rack like you wouldn't believe. She's got the, the black blue hair with the white highlights. And she is, she's a vampiric woman who seduced people in discotheques. And it shows her in the surprint having Firestorm tied up and her fighting Zatanna. It is a fantastic entry. It, it, it,
2: Rob, do you remember this issue? Of course, right? Yes, I think I was the one who said that that character should have gotten a listing in Who's Who. Oh, okay, all right. Well, I. So, what do you think of it? Oh, it's terrific. He's he's on a he's on a complete run. He's like on. You know, his his run is like the Beatles in the '60s. You know, I mean that kind of like just everything he's going is is really good. It's tremendous. Uh, yeah, it just it just sort of dwarfs. I, we're very humbled that he's putting this much effort into these things and sends them to us. Uh, it's really it's really very touching because I I know firsthand how you know to sit there and draw all the stuff. I, I've never done anything as good as Zoom ever has, so I don't know how long it takes, but just to do anything halfway decent takes forever. And the fact – the amount of work he puts into these is, is remarkable. And that's all prelude to what we're leading up to. Well, right. I was actually going to suggest you take this one. Yeah. Well, he sent us uh, a, a cover. He did a Zooms Who wraparound cover done in the style of the Who's Who covers, except Zoom himself makes an appearance – and it features all of the characters that he has drawn, who's who listings for, plus a few others. And then since he has then since gone on and added other ones, but like he's got listings for, uh, and you'll see it on the Tumblr and you've seen it on uh, his line that drawn. I mean, the, the, it's just beautiful. And it said it's a shot of Zoom at his drawing board and leaping off the page. You've got the Aquaman of Earth Two. You've got me, Aquarob, uh, Astral, Had Breakaway Bandit. Batman Jones, uh, Cal Durham, The Crusader, Domino, Fireman Farrell, uh, Fire Shag, Firestorm the, Atom- Firestorm, the Atomic Man, The Human Flying Fish, I Ching, Kid Lantern, Lady Cop.
0: <laughs>
2: uh, <laughs> uh, what's the other one? I can't read it. It's so small. Lady Viper. A oh, Lady Viper. I'm sorry. Master, Master v- Villain. Master Villain. Nubia. Professor Zoom. Quisp, Satin Satin Satan, Squid, Steampunk, Super Duper, Superman of Earth One, Superman's Fortress of Solitude, Superwoman, Topo, the TRS eighty whiz kids. Which now I, that, that I, I want guys, on a right? shirt. I, I mentioned that they should have gotten a listing. 'Cause you were like we were saying after the Protector got a listing, then it shows to the TRS eighty whiz kids. And he made one, the bastard. So I want I want it on a shirt. I want that on a shirt. The Wonder Woman of Earth One and Woozy Winks. It's just – it's beyond anything. It's just – its I, if I had space in this house, I would get a poster made of this and get it framed. It's just so beautiful.
1: Now, to be fair, when we said he, he's drawing the stuff and sending it to us, I mean, he is getting it published on comic book resources. Right. On the, the 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 line it is drawn. So, right. I mean, he's not just doing it for us. He's getting it out there and published. But apparently our podcast plays a big role in inspiring him. Yes. I mean, I think the Lady Cop entry is specifically from yes. our episode not too long ago. And
2: the characters are interacting, which is wonderful. I mean, you've got the... The Crusader going after Lady Viper with help from the Terrorist 80 Wiz Kids. Lady Cop is chasing somebody. Satin Satan, and Woozy Wigs are getting friendly. Of course, uh, Fire Shag is uh, is uh, drooling over Satin Satan, Satan. Uh, Aquaman of the Aquaman of Earth Two is chasing after the human flying fish. I'm taking on Firestorm. Uh, I mean, a fire, yeah, uh, steampunk. Steampunk. Yeah, I'm fighting on. Steam. It's just E-Ching is wandering around. Superman and Wonder Woman are the main characters as they should be. It's it's so beautiful. It's just well, so beautiful.
1: Well, the amazing thing is he drew all of these entries in the style of various artists. You know, like Superman was and Wonder Woman were both done as Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise his name. Called. And uh, Nubia was done in uh, Don, Heck's Don style. Heck style. Don Heck, yep, yep, yep. And so he took the time when he drew this cover. He didn't just pull the image and drop it in here. He's redrawn all the yeah. characters again yep, in those yep. same styles. I can't imagine how long this took to do. Stunning, absolutely stunning. And uh, it, it went all over the interwebs. it went people went nuts for it, and again, it appeared on it 's the line it is drawn, uh, and then he was nice enough to produce another one with our f and w bullet logo he's put together for us. yep so um, just zoom you 're the man, and again, this is uh zoom 's who his corner of uh, this show. so yep.
2: with that, folks, I think that is going to do it. I think so we 're into hour four of the show. I think that 's enough. <laughs> well, folks, uh, Rob, again, why don't you tell them that Tumblr where they can find the images uh, from this issue? Fire and The email is, of course, firewaterpodcast at comcast.net. And the website is fireandwaterpodcast.com.
1: Yep, and uh, in the near future, you'll be able to find those same images that would appear on Tumblr on that website as right. well. And be sure to check your iTunes. Uh, it will announce it when it's out there, but check your iTunes anyway. See if you can subscribe to the Who's Who podcast yet, and uh, please spread the word. We would appreciate it. So I I think you can find Rob and I both on uh, Twitter. You can find me under Firestorm Fan. You can find Rob under Film and Water Pod or Aquaman Shrine. You can find both of us under FW Podcasts with an S. That's a whole lot of tweeting going on. Mm -hmm. You can find us on Facebook as Aquaman Shrine and Firestorm Fan, but also Fire and Water Podcast Network. And uh, I think that is going to do it. So until next time,
2: who's who's next? Who's next?
0: Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man, who are all
1: these people, man? They're all part of the DC, who's who?
2: Ultra Boy and Mr. Gold, Lightning Glass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Etrigan, and Arisia and Woozy Weeks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy?
1: Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr.
2: Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC
0: Who's Who. Oh, man, we forgot Slipknot.
1: The last one I had to mention, just because it's so utterly bizarre. The Planet Master is apparently, the the Batman villain he's based on is Plant Master.